Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Dr. Fuck and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley, better known as Wadzilla. So enjoy another awesome, incredible episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Bam, 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 diddly dee. All right, it's me, Dr. Fuck with... Oh, yeah, the Ayatollah Alcohola, Ian Wadley. Hi, Ian. Any iTunes reviews? Fuck no. What the fuck's up with this shit, man? You guys are getting tardy with the iTunes reviews. You know I love to read them. They got to shit or get off the pot, you know? Come on, leave them alone. They don't know how to write. They can't write, all right? They can't write, 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 write. All right, all right, all right. No right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, well, hey, fuck them. All right. Well, here's one thing we do have to talk about, though, and that is the Nashville Rock and Pot Expo Part Dose. And uh, the cat is now out of the bag, something we've been sitting on for a long time. Uh, is Vinnie Vincent is going to be there. Yeah, there you go. All right, we've, and, we've known this for a while. Hey, how's yeah. that for some kiss news? Yeah, yeah, that was... Uh, we couldn't say anything because everything had to be finalized. You know how shit can be in Vinny World, and uh, but now everything is official, and uh, hell of an opportunity to get there and meet Vinny. Now, one thing I will say, uh, just so everybody's clear on this and knows, uh, Vinny is going to be separate from the other guests in that uh, the other guest appearances, as long as you get in, you're you know uh, that's free to meet them. Vinny will be paid, you know, you will pay for autographs, uh, photos, you know, signings and stuff like that. There is a fee, like a regular Comic-Con type of thing. Uh, I don't have all the prices as of yet, so I don't even want to, you know, comment until I know for sure. But just so the fans know that. But here's something that's amazingly awesome that, you know, whether or not you choose to pay to personally meet him or, you know, to get an autograph... He is going to do a live uh, episode of the Decibel Geek where they do albums unleashed and they are doing Kiss Lick It Up. Yeah. Live that, that, that you can watch for free. Yes, that you can watch for free. And videotape. Yeah, $10 gets you in the door. $20 gets you uh, early admission if you're like a, you know, a record guy and you want to get there and you know, cherry, cherry pick the best vinyl. And the best thing is anybody who's donated, that all go towards that. So if you've already paid for an episode or whatever, you're already on the list. You're already in there. I got great and, news, too. Something you don't know. What's that? Uh, anybody that pays 20 bucks gets free admission to get in uh, cheap, uh, before me because Aaron and Sisnak both told me that uh, they're chaining me to the hotel room. Oh, shit. So I can't be getting no vinyl before anybody. Yeah, because he'll buy it all. <laughs> I wasn't very happy about that. I asked them if they can get me those, like, fur handcuffs. <laughs> so it can remind oh. me, it can remind me of, you know, what I do here with trannies. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but, yeah, man, and donate now and get your tickets. Because here's another thing I want to throw out there is... This place has a capacity of 500. Mm. So, and and that includes like the podcasters and you know everybody who's in there. So the, this thing is going to sell out. 
Uh, so, so if you're like, ah, fuck it, it's not till August. No, now's the time to do it. And, and here's another thing. You know, it, you might not be able to afford your own fucking episode or to guest on an episode or to pick, you know, a crazy album like Mr. T. But all you motherfuckers can afford 10 fucking bucks. Give me a fucking break. And that covers your admission. So there you go. Don't put it off, man. Instead of buying that, you know, uh, crappe focolaco mate apacheco fucking thing from Starbucks. Yum. Pay ten bucks to get into. Pay ten bucks to get into here. Wow. Don't be a, don't it's be a cheap motherfucker. Tommy's now talking like a human. Yeah, I know. Wow. Wow. Shut up already. That's wild. <laughs> All right, cool, man. That's awesome. So yeah, I'm looking yes. forward to it. I'm booking my flight. Uh, today, because I, I, I'm no, I'm no slacker, yo. I do my shit, and everybody should learn from me. And by the way, I'm charging more than Vinny to meet me, but you can, you can meet him for free. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'll pay you to act like you're excited. But there's even more guests I just talked to Ralph about today that I can't announce. Oh my god, and it's an awesome one. Well, man, yeah. there, that one. Oh man, and. And that one's a done deal. We just can't really say it. Yes. But, but yes. let me tell you something. This is legendary shit. I yes. mean, to me, more even legendary than Vinny. I know, I know, Sisnak. Relax, dude. Relax. We both have different opinions. But this guy means more to me than, than Vinny. And you know how much Vinny... Vinny means a lot to me. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But I, oh, this no. guy's even a bigger deal to me. I'm the same way because I lost my Vinny Cherry back in 96. I already met him, got his autograph. That's old hat. This guy, I've never met, never thought I'd meet. Yeah, so. me neither. And I'm like, I, oh, I, my God, him? Yeah. Ooh. So th this is something not to be fucking missed, people. Don't take, you know, and don't take the show for granted, man. Chip in. Help this thing be as successful as it can. Successful. All right. Well, fuck it, man. Let's get to the fucking news, shall we? All right. All right. All right. Uh, unfortunately, this just popped up. Had a death in the rock world today. Uh-oh. Uh, might not be super well-known, but still sad. Ben Graves, uh, drummer, he drummed for the Murder Dolls, for Dope, for Pretty Boy Floyd. Passed away from cancer at 46 years old. Oh, that's terrible. Fuck cancer, yeah, man, and I'm just, as the day we're recording this, it's two days before my 44th birthday. Oh, so by I'm the like, way, Ian. Yeah, sir. The postman's coming to your house on your birthday. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I'll, I'll be I'll be rings twice. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna get an F. Uh, 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 you know, electric bill. I didn't buy you oh. shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> Psych. We were not ready to say the FTD floral, man. I know. I was about to say FPL. <laughs> Florida Power and Light. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so there's our show of respect for Ben Graves. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's true, man. Fuck. How did it? Oh, because he brought up your birthday. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't make him need to make a joke. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm not real familiar with the guy, man, but 46. It don't matter. It's fucking answer. young. It's That's yeah. too young. Yeah, it sucks. So my condolences to, yeah, mine too, man. to his terrible. family. That's terrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I made a joke. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That's okay. Yeah, I, I laugh at everything. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see you laugh when you get that electric bill. Uh oh. Yeah. 
All right. Well, here's somebody else who is also going to be at the Rock and Pod Expo that will be doing a panel discussion and you can meet. Uh, is Brian Head Welsh from Corn. He has a new movie out called Loud Crazy Love, and it's a documentary about how he's cleaned up his life and uh, how his daughter was the inspiration for that. And I imagine somehow they're going to squeeze God into this shit. How old's the daughter? Uh, she's a teenager now. Hmm. I don't know uh, how. Is it like with an eight in front of the teens? I don't think so. Never mind. Michael Anthony just said, and yeah, this has been said since 2004. He said that Eddie Van Halen was in bad shape during the 2004 tour. Yeah, water's wet. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, man, as, as I'm reading this, I just remember when that tour was announced. And, man, did that just fucking break my heart. Do you remember when they announced that fucking reunion? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it was just like... Because uh, I, I knew at that time there was a lot of talk on the internet about they were trying to do shit with Dave, and then it fell apart, and then the next thing you know, this happens. And I really thought, like, okay, that's the final nail in the coffin. Like, it'll never happen with Dave. Uh, this is... Oh, God. I mean, I was just so so disgusted you know it was like the pain of him being there all over again and thankfully it only lasted for one like half-ass attended tour and a shitty greatest hits album with even shittier uh three songs on it so it it was a blessing that eddie was all fucked up at that time yeah well i mean he had to be to go out on that abortion you know and i i feel you know, part of me does feel bad for Mike Anthony. You know, to, in order to take part in that reunion, Eddie forced uh, Mike to sign away his uh, royalties and his claim to the Van Halen name and all this shit. But one thing that strikes me is, uh, you know, kind of funny is Sammy always comes off as this, yeah, I'd take up for Mike and I'd take up. If he really wanted to take, out for, take up for Mike, he would have said no. He said, if you make Mike do that, I won't do the tour. So, I'd call bullshit on fucking Saint fucking Sammy. You know, he had no problems with letting fucking uh, Mike sign his life away to do the tour. So Yeah, right? He should have stepped in saying, what the fuck? No, 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 no. I ain't doing the tour if you're going to let Michael do that. That's not right. Yeah. But no, no. uh, Sammy was definitely, he was fine with taking his share of the fucking money to do that fucking tour. And didn't care about what it did to Mike. And I do, I feel bad for Mike that that he fucking did that. And, you know, Mike said that in his mind, because of how bad Eddie was, he thought this was going to be it. This was going to be the last thing. There was never going to be anything else. So fuck it. Go ahead and do it. Uh, You know, obviously he made the wrong decision. Uh, But yeah, you know, if Sammy's such a fucking saint, uh, he would have stood up and said, no, you can't do that to him. But he didn't say a fucking thing. He cashed his fucking check and did those dates, and it's a, it's another fucking abortion and stain on the Van Halen legacy. He's not cool. No, he's not. He's a fucking douchebag. Yeah, I think I I, I tend to lean toward that that philosophy. Ian. All right. Well, we agree on that. Now, here's something we may or may not agree about, and uh, there was a lot of chatter on the interwebs about. Ooh, these all these appetite signs that are going up in London and 
what's it going to be? And all these people like, oh, it's going to be a reunion finally of the original uh, five. Did I call it? See, we didn't do the news last week, and it's unfortunate right. we did it because I went on the Facebook uh, group page saying, who wants yeah. to bet me this is not yeah. a reunion? And yeah. nobody. See, here's the thing about everybody that, that has opinions on reunions and stuff. Yeah, you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. Because I challenge all you fuckers that were saying reunion going, go ahead, bet me. Bet me that it's going to happen, you know? But nobody. And you know me, dude. I don't give a fuck. I'll throw, a, I'll throw away 100 bucks, no problem. Yeah, well, it turns out you were absolutely right. It is just a repackaging of Appetite for Destruction with a lot of extras. Uh, I will say this is an attractive-looking uh, box set. But then when I saw the price, I saw you initially posted it was $650. Yeah, somebody told me that, so I believe it. You know, Which because I, the Internet, everything's true. That's right. Which I already knew, like, well... <laughs> yeah, I'm not buying that. No, no. But I, I saw what they did. Like, yeah, this looks good. This looks good. And I was like, you know what? I would pay for this. I, I would pay two hundred. I would pay two hundred. I, I think that's fair. I, I, I would, I would shell that out for this thing that they're schlocking out to you. But no, the price is a cool nine hundred and ninety-nine dollars. Yep, and and you know why it's nine hundred ninety-nine dollars? Because they know it will sell. It will sell. You got. You're talking about one of the biggest albums of all time, a band that has toured stadiums where people paid more than a thousand to get good seats. Trust me. And what they 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 they, they, they played to a trillion people on the tour. So believe me, those things will sell. Everybody can bitch all you want. Hey, I can't buy it. I mean, I could afford it, but I'm not that big of a fan to get something like that. I mean. But I will buy it. I will buy that fucking box when I see it on eBay in a couple of years with a little damage to the box. I'll be like, all right, I'll take, I'll take it. All right, all right. Yeah, but, but, but you, you don't think it'll actually go up in value and not down in value? It'll go down in value with damage to the box. Watch. Okay. And if uh, not, okay, say la vie, whatever. Mr. X is sending to me anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, oh Mr. X will hook you up. That's the most important thing, you know. All that you know, bells and whistles stuff doesn't ma matter as much to me as uh, you know the thing. But you know, they're not including million to one on it. I was okay. I was just gonna say that's one thing that made me totally like, okay, no, no. Yeah, no, man. When no. it comes to hey, you take away racism, he ain't ain't about that shit. Yeah, and, and here, here's the thing. Uh, I, I can see where, where the song is offensive, but I am not for fucking censorship. I happen to love the song. I know. I I love that fucking song, and I might not agree with everything that's said in it, but I agree with what Axel said at the time. Hey, it's written from a guy's perspective. Uh, you know, and which is a nice way to say you're a racist, but you're not really a racist. You know, like, oh, it's not me. It's, a, it's a, about my friend, my cousin from Canada. No, that's how he felt at the time, but I... I don't care. It's a great fucking song. It's a great, and it's an angry song, and I get it. I understand it. Uh, but don't make fucking apologies for it now. And I, I'm the guy, I'm the biggest fucking Trump hater and liberal. I, I definitely wouldn't call myself a Democrat, but you know, <laughs> but but when it comes to like censorship like that, it's like, come on. I thought you're the bad guys. You're the rebels of rock and roll. You're Guns and Roses. Get the fuck out of here. You're going to bow down and take that song off now? Now? 
get the fuck out of here. Welcome to Justin Children's World. Gingers have no soul. Yeah, take that song off. You know, get the fuck out of here. All this awesome shit in this box set that you get, but you're going to get a censored version of Lies? I think think the wise thing they should have done was not include Lies on it so you don't look like such an idiot. Yeah, I mean, if you're that fucking ashamed of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not like Ian. He hates blacks and gays. <laughs> it's immigrants and faggots. They make no sense to me. But, oh, man, I was just, like, really, that's fucking stupid. I heard it was Izzy that told me to do it. Oh, that makes sense. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a nut swinger. Yes. Yes, uh, but yeah, I, hey, it, it, it's a nice package, you know. But goddamn, a thousand bucks! Hey, a thousand dollars! Like I said, dude, it'll sell. It will sell. And you know that that little cross on the thing is actually handcrafted. You know they know what they're doing. They're doing all this fucking extra little shit to justify the sale. And of course, people are gonna bitch like Ian. But yeah, I know you're more upset because you know if that million one was on there, you already pre-ordered that shit. No, I'm, st- I'm still fucking get Mr. X to give me that shit. Dude, a thousand bucks. Dude. Yeah, no, I, look, look, look. If it was a volume four box like that, a thousand dollars, sure, I'd do it. I really would do it. It's just, I love yeah. Appetite for Destruction, but not that much, you know? And I am curious to hear all those, you know, ma- <laughs> there's so many unreleased tracks, and then there was a lot of demos and live and all, blah, blah, blah. I, I want to hear all that shit. I do, I do want to, you know, would love to hear it. And But as far as, like, owning that box, dude, it's like, no, I'm not going to pay a 1000 because I have, you know, shit that I would pay a 1000 for. Hey, hey, a box I'd pay 2000 for. Um, and then there's oh. stuff that I won't, you know, and uh, that's something I won't. But it's, you know, nothing against it. I think I, it's a I, great album. I would be curious to see the numbers on this, and I would be really curious to see the numbers on this uh, on that Gene Simmons thing too, like what wh- what it's actually sold. It, it, dude, if anything, I doubt he's not going to break even. I mean, I doubt he, you know, he's gonna, at least going to break even. I, I I just got. I, who's I, Gene I Simmons, dude? Gene Simmons ain't going to do shit to lose money. No, no, but I understand. But it's like to me, it's like, do you even know? that it's fucking 2018 how most people are fucking struggling and that your audience this is heavy metal music man most of us don't have a fucking pot to piss in you know I see a lot of people uh, online in the Facebook group man you know I don't see anybody like taking a shower and fucking money they're like you know people are struggling to get by and you I, I think it's rude to ask this of your fucking fans i i, I really okay, do. well we're, we're we're we think differently on this uh, subject matter because i just look at it this way man supply and demand don't want it don't buy it can't afford it don't buy it hey man yeah. there's things that i wish i could i wish i can own a yacht you know how much fucking poon tang i can get for a yacht you get a yacht you get a million like hot ass bitches here on South Beach. But hey, I can't afford it, so so be it. Yachts are a lot of money, dude. Right, I can't afford it. So, you know, hey, man, I just bite the bullet and accept, you know. And we're living in a day and age where bands aren't making money anymore, so they find other means to make a lot of money. And Gene Simmons is probably the worst, the worst uh, business uh, entrepreneur on the planet because anything that sells 
when Gene Simmons throws it on the wall, has the KISS logo on it. How many things has he done that's the Tongue Magazine, uh, those coffee shops, they're all gone. He, he took, uh, the, the, the football team. Come on, man. Right, but my thing is just like what we're doing, uh, you know, with our donations for the Expo, you got fucking assholes out there like Michael Butler that are charging $200 for him to go to dinner with you. I hope he flips a tab at least. You know, I, I just see that it, it's it's too fucking... It, to me, it's everything that is fucking wrong with this country. The fucking greed. Okay, I think it's all horrible. Right, all right. I, I see where this topic's going, so let's go to the next story. All right, well, let me find the next story. All right, well, here's one. Vinnie Vincent, who is going to be at the expo, uh, he was interviewed by another, I don't know if it was a podcast or whatever it was, but finally asked him the question, like, dude, are you a fucking woman? Are you transgender? Are you transforming into something or other? And uh, in terms of Vinnie Vincent fashion, he didn't answer. Uh, you know, gave, gave very vague answers to it. I don't know if this is something that is going to be revealed in his book uh, that hopefully is coming out next year. He is in talks with it. And if you listen to the Decibel Geek podcast, he is going to send them a copy of the book for free and uh, he's going to go in there to promote it. So uh, what do you feel about this? Do you think he is transgender or fucking whatever the fuck the term is? Do you think he wants to be a woman? What do you think? I think so. And the reason why I think so is because he would say, come on, man, I'm not. You know, but he's going to leave it up to everybody out there. And uh, honestly, I, I really don't give a fuck. I, I, I don't care if he's a chick, a dude, whatever. As long as he can write a song like he used to and and, and play guitar and, and tone it down like he did on two Benny Vincent albums and play solos like Million to One, chick or not, man. You know, I, I really don't care, I you know. But, you know, we live in a society that, you know, people pretend to be like oh no i don't care but you know you're gonna see people goofing on him because he's a chick well shit they already are doing i and and it's not like because i'm politically correct or anything i live my life as dude if something makes you happy who the fuck am i to like you know bash you uh, you know as long as you're not hurting anybody and he's not the only thing he's hurting is his penis if he has it cut off but that's him he's hurting himself anybody that hurts himself but I really don't care. I, I don't care if he is or not. But uh, in my opinion, yeah, it kind of sounds like he is either uh, transgender or transforming into one to give an answer like that. But that's just my opinion. I could be wrong, but that's how it sounds to me. I see where this is going. So next story. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? Where, where's <laughs> it going? What, what's your opinion? No, no, I want to know your opinion. I, I think he should be on the other side of the wall. No, I'm just kidding. I don't give a fuck what the fuck he does. I don't give a fuck what anybody does. As long as you don't hurt another fucking person, do whatever the fuck exactly, you want. Exactly, Guns N' Roses. Release that box. As long as you don't hurt nobody. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I'm talking physically, not your feelings. Fuck your feelings. Uh, I'm talking about, like, physically hurt somebody, you know? Fuck, you know? Who, who gives a fuck? I just want to... I want to hear him play... I want to hear him play electric guitar. I'm sick of this goddamn acoustic shit. I want to see him play electric guitar, and he's talking about doing a tour next year, and I hope so. I want to see him sing, too, man. 
Oh yeah, no, I I love his voice. I, I do too, man. It's it's so it's so criminal how this guy. Maybe he can't, you know, do both at the same time. Maybe that's the problem. No, I believe I believe he can. I mean, you know who couldn't? Uh, uh, you know, my favorite guitar player all time, Frank Zappa. As amazing as it was, all the different instruments he could play, all the shit he could do, he could not sing and play at the same time, ever. That's why he always toured with so many guitar players, because on songs that he would sing the vocals, you know. And, uh, yeah, I find it hard. Not a lot of people could do it. Look at how fucking Dave Mustaine plays and what he plays and sings. And I'm even more blown away by drummers that sing, because that you're keeping two different times in your head and pulling it off. So I got crazy respect for drummers who I don't I don't know what it is about me I don't like when I see drummers singing I don't know why I, I, it's stupid right I mean it does it does look weird it's not the traditional yeah, like, I, like, I like a front man somebody up front right. you know oh, and I get that or somebody with a guitar or bass that's a little bit different it is weird to see a drummer doing it but it's like just the talent aspect alone even if it's a band I don't like, if you got a drummer that can sing at the same time, that. But I, I'm all about musicians, <laughs> like people who can really fucking like play and write songs and sing and do. Oh, like thanks, that. thanks, Ian. No, fuck you. What? I see where you're going with this. Next story. <laughs> uh, next album, next Roger Die album. I'm playing the drums and singing, and guitar <laughs> at the same time. A guitar. I can't do the bass thing at the same time. I'm not that talented. Just guitar and drums and vocals. Uh. <laughs> That's how I'm going to record it, too. It's going to be a hot mess. <laughs> but I respect the shit out of it. <laughs> All right, well, here's another guy that's putting out a new album, and I got some respect for this, even though I kind of laugh at it Thank you. Uh, in, in one way. Uh, D. Snyder's uh, solo album is coming out July 27th. I'm interested. It's metal. Well, well, well that's what I'm interested in. But he kind of did this thing like uh, this last solo album he put out. He was so like proud about how I'm going to step away from metal. I'm just going to do like a contemporary adult uh, album. And this is what I want to do. I want to separate myself and spread my wings and show it. And nobody bought that shit. So now, Didn't all we of a sudden, I mean, it's it, it's it's very delusional of them because we all knew it when we heard when we read that. All of us that are D. Snyder fans, when we read that headline, we we're like, "Oh, this is gonna flop. This is gonna be like D. on Broadway." You know? Yeah, but I, I mean, let's be realistic. This album's gonna flop too. Of course, but, but well, I like got I, I I got respect for. I mean, I knew. I was willing to give that other album a chance until I heard that God Wretched, and I know you like it, but that fucking piano version of We're Not Gonna Take It. Yeah. I was like, I was like, Ugh, you know what? It, we're not going to buy it. Actually, we're not even going to download it. Uh, you know, but I am excited for this. He's working with Jamie Josta. Uh, I'm not the world's hugest hate Yeah, fan. I, I'd rather it be Roycey. You know, I, I don't I don't I don't hate Hatebreed, but I'm not a huge fan either. But I, I am a big fan of the band he did with uh, Kirk Weinstein. Uh, I saw Kingdom that band. Sorry. I saw them with War. Oh yeah, what'd you think? I didn't like it. You didn't like it? Sorry. Uh, I liked the second album much more than the first album, but the second album was much more Kirk and more Kirk singing, uh, and I think that's why I enjoyed it more. Uh, never got to see him live. Would have liked to. 
But anyway, so Jamie Jostas, I think he produced it, and I'm not sure if he contributed on writing or stuff. Well, yeah. I got two words for Jimmy Johnson. What's his name? Jama Josty? Jamie Josta. Jimmy Josta. Thumbs up, dude. Oh, wait. No, no. Let me let me rephrase that. Thumb up, too. All righty. Well, I guess he didn't get that joke, right? You know, you know he's missing a thumb. Oh, I didn't know that. No. Correct. Okay, well. Not cool. Uh, not cool. I'm glad. I'm proud of you, Ian, that you didn't laugh at that joke. I would have been very offended. <laughs> All right. I see where this is going. Next story. Uh, well, I really got to you, huh? All right. Let's go back. Capitalism sucks. Fuck Trump. Wah, wah, wah. Happy? <laughs> yes. All right. There uh, you go. Now we, now we can go to my favorite topic, J.J. Uh, French. Oh, uh, who knows that? It was um, uh, Biff. Biff and, and uh, well, you know, uh, Lips is a, was a little more nice about it. Yeah. But yeah. I love how Biff came down. Biff made J.J. French kiss the curb. Yeah. Like that line? See what I did there? Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's bite the curb. Bite the curb. Ninja. J.J. French. Kiss JJ the curb. Uh, but yeah, I, that's one thing I was going to say. You know, th- this story was particularly about what, what Lips said. And, you know, Lips basically called him a very foolish man. But at the same time, he also said, I love JJ. Yeah, because he know? knows him. He knows him personally. Right. Uh, but I, you know, I agree with both what Biff said and what Lips said. You know, it's like, get the fuck out of here, you bitter motherfucker. And they both pointed out, like, hey, D. Snyder's still making new music. What the fuck are you doing? Can't write a fucking tune, motherfucker. You know? Yeah, he can, uh, but they're pretty bad. <laughs> Listen to those. What was those albums called? The Swiss Sister album? Uh, early Days. Ooh. Man, those J.J. French pen songs. Jesus Christ. I'd be pissed, too. <laughs> but, uh, again, you know, I, I give hats off to fucking, you know, to Saxon and Anvil. You know, these, these are guys... That are not making a shit ton of money off these new albums, but they keep doing it because they believe in what they do. And uh, man, that's that's fucking that's respect right there. I got more respect for that than a fucking crybaby who bitches about the Rolling Stones. Fucking right capitalist stone. asshole. Yeah, fuck him. I don't want to lose money. Exactly, greedy bastards. That fucking asshole. I heard him bitch about that. He's getting that Guns N' Roses box, too. The, the nerve. No, yeah. oh, he was saying he can't afford it because nobody buys Swiss & Sister records. No, he can't. He's but, doing all those Comic-Cons. He's doing that just for that box, Guns N' Roses box. True story. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, here's another one. Alice Cooper says at 70, he doesn't see any reason to retire at all. You want to talk about a bad motherfucker that releases new music all the time. Boy, that guy surpasses Anvil and fucking Saxon combined. How long has he been doing since the goddamn 60s? Fucking, you gotta love Alice, dude. You gotta oh, yeah. love that guy. I love Alice Cooper. Adore him. Oh, hell yeah. And even though I wasn't a fan of that last album, I was really don't matter. disappointed. It don't matter. I mean, yeah. he's made clunkers all his career, man. He's made good ones. He always bounces back. You notice that? Yeah. Yeah, Alice Cooper, like, sometimes in successions, he'll do, like, two or three bad ones in a row. Then he hits you over the head with, like, some, like, brutal plan. It's like, holy fuck. And I, I love that about him. He's like a box of surprises. I, 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 and, and live, 
Forget it. Oh, Dude, yeah. When I oh. saw, and you were there, when I saw Alice yeah. Cooper open for Heaven and Hell, bro, you can't really say Heaven and Hell blew him away. That shit was like tied to me. Oh, hell no. They were like, dude, I mean, Alice Cooper was so good that night that I was like, dude, that shit was as good as Evan and L. Usually that doesn't happen at shows, you know? Yeah, and two times I saw him open up for uh, Motley Crud on their farewell tour, he blew them the fuck away. Yeah, yeah, he he was better, but, you know, then Motley Crud came out with the bells and whistles, and that was, you know, very impressive. But uh, like Kiss, they needed that. (laughs) <laughs> you know, because if you just went by music and performance, yeah, you'd get blown off the fucking stage. Yeah, Alice still fucking bringing it, even if it's not in the studio. But again, at least he is fucking trying. He know? doesn't try. He does. That's the difference. He just does. All right. Sometimes he does it bad, but he does it. He goes out there and fucking does it. And he surrounds himself with top notch musicians. I mean. That little hot piece of ass that he has on guitar. Oh, God. Oh, man, and God. she is amazing on guitar. Amazing. Right. Yeah, she's not just a, a pretty face. I mean, she is gorgeous, but that girl can fucking play. And that that bass player, major oh, yeah. talent, because I saw his side band with Oscar's daughter, Blasco, yeah. Blasco, whatever. Man, yeah. that guy's awesome. And, you know, I never even heard of these guys. I went to go see Sons of Apollo, and they opened... And I didn't know who the fuck they were. And then, you know, somebody pointed out, hey, you know, that's Alice Cooper's daughter and that's Alice Cooper's bass player. I think there's somebody else in that band, too, in the Alice Cooper band. Major talent, man. I mean, they were totally a, a white zombie ripoff. But shit, they were playing well, dude. That shit was very impressive. Nice. Alice Cooper's yeah. the shit, man. He is the shit. Yeah, Alice Cooper doesn't, and doesn't get enough fucking respect. Oh, of course not. But you know what? He doesn't care. Uh, you know, Alice Cooper plays down here, and like, you know, when he headlines, it's not like big halls, but he still does it, yeah. you know, and he always comes to Florida. You know why, right? Good to see you. The golf courses rule down here. True that. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking about somebody who didn't give up and kept fucking trying. Hello. Let, let's get into the 1982 album from Aerosmith. Rockin' a Hard Place with a special guest. Yeah, let's do this. All right, now it's time to do the 1982? Yes, sir. All right, 1982 Aerosmith album, Rockin' a Hard Place. And uh, Ian, tell us who we have with us this week. Oh, we have the mastermind of damn good movie memories. Brian Davis is with us today. Hey guys, welcome! Thank you for having me back. Yeah. Uh, 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 don't thank us; you paid for it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I thank my job for having me back. Yeah. No, one of three episodes we're yep. gonna do. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. I mean, for those donations, uh, really help a lot. Plus, we do love having you on here. You're one of our favorite guests. Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah, I got. I gotta say, I love people that donate. As long as their initials aren't T and B. <laughs> I, I see what you're doing with this. Yes. So, yeah, uh, here's an album uh, that uh, I got when it came out, and uh, I saw the tour. Oh, yeah. nice. Yes. Uh, well, technically, I can can I say I saw the Rock and Hard uh, Place tour if I saw them 
during that era open for Journey at the Miami Baseball Stadium? I guess so, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I saw the tour. I saw the lineup. Jimmy Crespo and uh, Rick Dufay. And uh, I remember vividly, because uh, it was my first time seeing Aerosmith, and I've been a huge Aerosmith fan, you know, my whole uh, through the whole 70s, I mean, when I caught up with it. And uh, the thing I vividly remember about that show was Steven Tyler looked like Fu Manchu. He had like this, you know, like facial hair that couldn't, he really couldn't grow that well. And it was definitely like Fu Manchu, you know, the little chin hair and the long mustache. Mm -hmm. um, and he was completely wasted, but he sang perfectly, even as wasted as he was. It was amazing. And the other thing I remember vividly about that show was Tom Hamilton would take a swig off a Jack Daniels bottle between songs that he had placed on top of his amplifier. And I do remember them playing uh, Jailbait, Bitches Brew, and Lightning Strike. I think that's it from this album. But I remember, oh, wow. like, I remember Lord of the Thighs and, uh, uh, you know, and then, you know, your hits. And I remember them opening with Toys in the Attic. It was awesome. It was fucking mm -hmm. incredible. Finally, and I was all the way up front, hot ass summer day in Miami, Florida. It was fucking great. And you know, I'm a lizard. I love the heat, so you know, I was, a, I was soaking that shit in. So yeah, oh, I yeah. did see like you know something that didn't last too long because you think about it. When Jimmy Crespo first joined, it was with Brad Whitford on right. the Night in the Rugs tour. But then when they did this tour, that was the only tour they did with these two. Uh, uh, Rick Dufay, who has a hot-ass daughter now. Yeah, he does. Ooh. Nice. Hell yeah. That's his claim to fame with me. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's, a, she's an actress. Yeah, she, she's fine. Yeah, she's fine. Uh, how, how was the chemistry with uh, those two guys? I mean, did he have the same kind of rapport uh, with Joe Perry? I mean, was he right by his... Was he by Crespo's side a lot, or...? I, well, you know, I mean, himself. it was a long, long time ago, but I do remember, yeah, they do the uh, vocal harmonies together. Kind of yeah. like the same way Joe and Steven would do. Steven came up with the mic. And I was actually on Crespo's side. That's where I was. I was all the way, not all the way up front, but like, you know, pretty much front row, you know. And uh, uh, I remember, you know, him going up to him with the microphone and them singing like, you know, like the... Dog eat dog with in no rival, you know, lightning mm -hmm. strikes part. You know, I remember that. That I do remember, stuff like that. And I remember uh, having pictures of that show, but uh, I might still have them. Uh, I don't, I just haven't seen them in decades, but a buddy of mine took pictures and gave me copies. And uh, I do have one picture on my computer of Steven Tyler and Steve Perry backstage at that show. Uh, oh, wow. I, yeah, that showed up online somewhere. I was like, oh, shit, look. Uh, and you see him with a little Fu Manchu, you know, facial <laughs> hair. But, uh, yeah, so, um, uh, but, you know, I'm a little, uh, this was the first Aerosmith album I was like, eh, about. Uh, but I'll get into that later. But, um, but you know, to tell you the truth, I don't recall when I bought it. I think I did buy it before I saw the show because I do remember, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, the songs they played from this album. I, I could be a little, I mean, I tried looking for the set list yesterday and I couldn't find it. Like there was a set list with like three songs, but I kind of remember them dealing Bohemian's Ragamuffin, but I could be wrong. Mm. Well, uh, you know, let, let me ask you, since you were, you were there at this time, uh, you know, did, 
1982, I mean, metal was totally different. And did people really give a shit? Like in your clique, they still care about Aerosmith or was that old hat? Or, you know, was it, hey, it's still fucking Aerosmith. It's awesome. I think they did, but this was the tail, era, the tail end of it. You know, Aerosmith right. was still uh, with the strength of, you know, Toys in the Attic and Rocks. And, you know, the yep. fir- those, those albums were still very much respected in the very early 80s. And, yes, I mean, when Aerosmith was open for for Journey, it was a big deal for, for my scene. You know, for my crowd, we were all like, oh, shit, Aerosmith, Aerosmith, you know? Aerosmith was still a big deal. Even with Joe Perry gone, people were still interested. I mean, at least in Florida. And, uh, but, you know, I think a year or two later, uh, the kind of the magic went. And then I did see, the next time I saw Aerosmith was the Back in the Saddle tour. Yeah, a friend Uh, of mine saw that tour. Yeah. Yeah, 84? Yeah. Yeah. With Black and Blue featuring Ace Frehley. And, uh... (laughs) And, and uh, they played Sunrise Musical Theater, which is kind of like a smaller venue. And right. and they always played arenas before that. So, yeah, kind of like the, the, you know, the, the love for Aerosmith was kind of waning by that point. Even with the return of Joe Perry, it just didn't really. And, you know, I mean, look at Done With Mirrors. I mean, the reunion album didn't really blow up either. Right. Uh, it wasn't until Run DMC came along that gave them you know, oh, new spark, sure. new spark of interest to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I don't think permanent vacation stood a chance if it wasn't for you know, uh, Run DMC. I agree. Because yeah. uh, as much as I'm not a fan of Done with Mirrors, that shit's way better than permanent vacation. <laughs> you know, not a fan of that album. Not a fan. Yeah. All right, uh, Brian, tell us how you discovered this album. And, yeah, so and Aerosmith in general. Sure. Yeah. Aerosmith is definitely one of my top five favorite bands. And they were kind of like my gateway band into like hard rock and heavy metal, because before Aerosmith, all I listened to was like blues music, like Muddy Waters and guys like that. And then like 50s and 60s rock and roll, Jerry Lewis, Little Richard, Chuck Berry, guys like that. And I I know I had to hear Aerosmith at some point in my young life, but really the first time I remember it all clicking together was watching The Simpsons. And at the time, their latest episode was the Flaming Moe's episode, yeah. where Moe's Tavern becomes the hottest spot in Springfield. And Aerosmith became the house band, and they performed Walk This Way. And, and then they ended the episode with uh, Young Lust, which, of course, is the first song on Pump. Right. And so this had to be, I think, 1991. So I was just starting eighth grade at the time. And so all I just needed to hear more Aerosmith, so I immediately went to Tower Records, and I got the original greatest hits from 1980, the one with the red cover and the wings. And uh, I was hooked. And luckily, one of the guys that worked at Tower could kind of see my youthful exuberance with the band. He told me which tapes to start from, you know, in their, during their best era, which, of course, is the 70s. And I didn't have a CD player at the time, so I could only afford tapes. And he said, get the trifecta. So get your wings, toys in the attic, rocks. And luckily, that only cost me 10 bucks because at that time, tapes were, were getting cheaper and cheaper because everyone was getting CDs. And then he said, if you really dig Aerosmith, one of his underrated favorites, two of them, were Rock in a Hard Place and Night in the Ruts. And since I only had five bucks left, I said, well, which one should I get? And he's like, eh, make, eh, take Rock in a Hard Place. And so, you know, a few weeks later, I had some more money and I got, I got the rest of the 70s stuff. But I always loved the Golden Trifecta, as I call it. But there was something different about Rock in a Hard Place. It, it's not like I liked it more. It was just different, but in a good way to me. And, and then later I realized it was different because Joe Perry wasn't on it. Brad Whitford's barely on it. And uh, yeah, after reading you know their biography in any book I can get my hands on about them, I discovered that the recording of this album is an absolute mess. And 
Steven Tower was in a serious motorcycle accident. I guess he clipped off part of his heel. Uh, he was a full-blown junkie at the time, you know, had difficulty writing lyrics for the album. Joe Perry was already out of the band after Night in the Ruts, and then Brad Whitford uh, barely plays on this and, and was replaced by Rick Dufay, as, as Ralph said. And and even though Dufay's listed on the album, he I don't believe he actually plays on no. it. Made, yeah. No. So, you know, mo- almost all the guitars are done by Jimmy Crespo. And in any case, I've always loved this album because I never get burnt down on it because it's never played on classic rock radio and, and they don't play it in concert anymore. So. <laughs> To me, it's one to re- revisit often because it's kind of like listening to Flick of the Switch or Blow Up Your Video from, from ACDC. So. Right, yeah, it's one of those... Uh, yeah, there, there, there's... I mean, this is your first Aerosmith album, so... Everybody mm-hmm. everybody has that thing about... You know, I mean, the first Aerosmith album I actually bought, and it technically it doesn't really count, was a live bootleg because it's not really an album, it's a live album. Right, the, it's almost like their greatest hit. Yeah, kinda. but... But, you know, I knew of uh, Toys in the Attic. I knew all that. But the first one I actually bought as a fan, brand new, was Night in the Ruts. And to me, that is, like, my favorite Aerosmith album along with Rocks. But that's... Yeah. I know that has a lot to do with me buying it for the first time. You know, mm-hmm. it, you know, there's always that, that kind of connection with an album. But I know, you know, I mean, if you... Yeah, a lot of hardcores love, you know, Night in the Ruts. But the actual fact is, you know, a lot of hardcores will pick basically every album before it yeah uh, as better than night in the ruts you know where to me night in the ruts is so good you know? which i believe we, re- we reviewed that one didn't we yes we did yeah yeah and i'm sure you can hear me gush all over that fucking because I, I, people- I love it a lot yeah, and a lot of people will pick "Draw the Line" over "Night in the Ruts," which I think is insane. I yeah. think, oh, no way! Yeah. And I yeah. think I think that's their worst one from the uh, '70s. Easily, easily. Yeah. It does have some great moments. I love "Sight for Sore Eyes." "Sight yeah. for Sore Eyes" is one of these songs that gets stuck in my head when I haven't even heard that album for years. It's like all of a sudden that song gets stuck in my head. "Kings and Queens" is one of the greatest songs. Yeah, and the title track. But then there's like "Bright Night Fright." <laughs> you know, and I'm not a fan of fucking Mother Milk Blues, whatever. Milk Cow Blues. Yeah. Milk Cow Blues, yeah. yeah I'm, not, I'm not a fan of, like, there's a few on there, but but it wasn't until this one where I was like, oh. But, you know, I mean, Brian, it was your first album. But yeah. I do have a lot of good things to say about this album and a lot of bad ones. That's cool. That's all right. But, uh, all right, Ian, how about you? Uh, well, I think I got this album. Uh, I know I got it on CD. Probably, I would say around 88. This was probably, uh, this could have been like my third Aerosmith album. Just cause I always liked the cover. I yeah. love Stonehenge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I dig the cover too. Yeah. And, 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 and it's one of those things where, uh, again, when I'm getting into Aerosmith, uh, you know, my dad had the classic records, but I didn't really listen to them. I was turned on to them through walk this way with run dmc you know and i've said this before when i heard the original i was like oh this is terrible i like the run dmc version you know and now it's total opposite but i really got into aerosmith and uh you know it's funny you said uh it's usually whatever you get into first well my first one that i actually bought was permanent vacation because of mm. my age uh and now i'm not that big a fan of that but, but when you songs. but but when when you first heard it did you oh, love it as a whole? Oh, I oh I loved it. I loved every fucking <laughs> song. I was like, I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, that's funny. 
I, I, I remember getting mad because I, I called the local radio station requesting uh, Ragdoll. Uh, I've heard Rag- this story a million times. But in Ian's defense, <laughs> he gets really drunk and he forgets what he says. They, they wouldn't play it because they said they don't play metal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and now I can't stand that fucking song. Dude, oh, I've like, always, from day one, hated Ragdoll. That, oh. Ragdoll is like one of the most annoying Aerosmith songs ever. Oh, it is. That's it's so bad. Aerosmith, what fucking money talks is the ACDC. Yeah, and it's, it's also uh, and it's also the one that, even to today, boy, radio loves playing that shit. Yeah. I hear that fucking drum beat because I only listen to radio in my city truck when I'm when I'm working. And I see that coming, I'm like, fuck, not Ragdoll again. I mean, well, <laughs> I got something to say about Walk This Way later. I'll, I'll leave it for one of these songs that I won't talk about now. But man, Ragdoll, holy fuck, do I hate that song. But, uh, but so I, you know, I, I get in this band, uh, you know, Printed Vacations, my first one. Then I believe I got, uh, Greatest Hits. And then I think this might have been the next one that I got. When did you, uh, when did you get done with The Mirrors? <laughs> uh, that one, I probably, that was probably like my fifth one. And I found that that was like a, that was a, a punch out, <laughs> you know, that was, uh, <laughs> Remember when they used to do that on the cassettes? You'd see that little hole in it because sure, yeah. it didn't sell. And yeah, albums. I, I, yeah, I, I, I picked that up. Uh, I picked that up on the cheap and and fell in love with it right away. But it, at that point, I was already an Aerosmith fan. But I didn't. When I got this one, I didn't have any prejudice against it because Joe Perry wasn't on it. Uh, because they weren't one of those bands where I was like, oh, this member is sacred to me. There are certain bands. You know where certain members are sacred, and and you can't fuck with it. And even though I like Aerosmith, it's I never gravitated towards one member or the other. So, uh, you know, I didn't care that Joe Perry wasn't on this, and to this day, I don't care that Joe Perry's not on. This. I, I kind of like uh, I kind of don't even remember the backlash of oh no Joe Perry no Aerosmith. How you know how it is today? I don't remember that back then. Same thing with Back in Black. Not you know, this is a guy that was historic and died. And I remember, dude, I mean, I'm the hugest Bon Scott fan. Even at that time, I was, like, extremely depressed. And when I found out ACDC's releasing a new album with a new singer, I didn't say, oh, man, how can you do this without Bon? I was like, oh, let me hear this. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You know, even though I don't like Brian as much as Bon, I love Brian. But it still was, I mean, people are not accepting anymore, you know, for the most part. Because I don't remember back in the day people bitching about, Oh, so and so is not in a band, so it's not that band anymore. You know what I mean? I think it all started with fucking Van Halen. That's when it all started because Sammy Hagar. Now everybody has that philosophy. Well, if it ain't with this guy, because Sammy Hagar fucked that up too. Yeah, yeah. He- <laughs> also, I, yeah. I also think it's better that you know the internet wasn't around then, so you, you didn't have the widespread bullshit. You know? No, no. Even before the internet, I I really remember a big backlash. Like, oh no, Vince, no crew. You, okay. know, you guys remember that? I mean, I remember. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of people were against that, where, you know, Robin Crosby's out of rat. Who cares? Oh, no. Who cares yeah. that the guy that wrote all their fucking hits is out of the band? Right. You know, fucking idiots. Yeah. Oh, in the same way I remember when uh, there was a big backlash when Belladonna uh, was fired from Anthrax, when, you know, Halford was out of Priest. Yeah. But, yeah, it, when, it, when it came to this, it. when it came to this, it, it, it to me, it didn't really matter because I think the guitar work on it. Is uh, is phenomenal and I think fits within uh, the Aerosmith sound. Yeah. So I, I never saw it like that, but it was always one of those 
even though I, I initially bought this on CD, it was it was one that I wouldn't play all the way through. I would cherry pick, uh, you know, whereas if I put in, you know, the other stuff, I would play the whole thing. You know, this is one where I pick songs, but going back to it, man, there's some shit I really love on this. And there's some shit I really fucking hate on this, but I, I really think this is an example of people, uh, you know, listening with their eyes and not with their ears. Because I don't think you hear that much of a difference, uh, you know, or like, oh, you can totally tell Joe Perry's not on this. No, yeah, I, I agree with you. One, this sounds like fucking arrows. This sounds yeah. like Joe Perry's on here. Right? Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, and, yeah, and I will take this over those early Joe Perry project albums. Those albums, definitely terrible. Well, no, yeah. that, that, look. In my defense, I I own I own this Aerosmith box set that brought let the music do the talking. Right, I got the Pandora's box. Fuck yeah, no, no, I have this red, red. Uh, no, oh, Pandora's box, box, box only fire. has only has a song. No, not Box of Fire either. It's oh, a, I've got it, Box of Fire. I have this really weird one that came out before Pandora's box. It has all the '70s albums up to uh, Rock and Hard Place, which was the '80s, and it, it, they they added Let the Music Do the Talking. Terrible oh. album. And then I did hear even way back then the one where it only has Joe Perry's face on the cover. Uh, I got the rock and rolls. Yeah, I, I heard that. I was like, ooh, but I never heard the third one. But those, two, there's a third one, isn't there? Or yeah, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Something like that. I don't know. But yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give a fuck it. I'll, I'll have to spoil it. I'll spoil this out for everybody. <laughs> I hate side two, and I <laughs> and I love side one. <laughs> you know, so wow. that yeah, yeah. That, that's no, no, no. I'm just gonna say because. <laughs> That's something. Uh, fuck it, I can say it's spoiler. Uh, but yeah, uh, there's some stuff I really dig, and, and I honestly think you know if you didn't tell anybody that Joe Perry was not, nobody would know the fucking difference. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's just a quality, uh, a matter of there's some shit songs on here, you mm-hmm. know, but there's also some some of my favorite Aerosmith songs on here. So. Yeah, uh, you know, and and it doesn't help that the band ignores it. Now, when Joe Perry first came back, they did play, I believe, Lightning Strikes. Yes, yes. No, they did uh, for a few tours too. I believe even Permanent Vacation. I saw Done with Mirrors, or Done with the Mirrors. I'm sorry, twice. <laughs> I uh, I could have sworn because time is so fucking like I'm starting to forget shit because I I think it was either you Ian or somebody told me the Back in the Saddle tour. Uh, that album was already out. I don't remember that. No, 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 no. Back in the Saddle Tour was before Done With Mirrors. Good, because somebody... Done With Mirrors, I don't know. What the, what yeah. the fuck is it called? I don't know. Done With I Mirrors, think. but I always keep saying okay. Done With The Mirrors, because when we reviewed it, he kept calling it that. But, yeah, but, but, um, yeah, but that's why we click, because I'm an idiot. It's like, okay, cool. it's like Dumb and Dumber. But, but, <laughs> but the thing is that, um, shit, what was I saying? Uh, Fuck, where was I going? Well, back in the saddle tour was eight. Oh yeah, I somebody told me no. Done with mirrors was out already. I was like, God, I don't remember that. Uh, I guess you know. Yeah, no. I guess I'm a little burnt. But yeah, okay. Because I that's how I remembered it. I remember the reunion with Joe Perry. I went to go see it. It was fucking great. That was a great fucking show. It was smaller place, intimate. It was just slamming fucking show. And. uh uh, but uh, that, then I saw Dunwin Mirrors tour, and both those shows they played Lightning Strikes, and I almost positive uh, uh, on uh, 
permanent vacation, they were still playing Lightning Strikes. But all nice. those shows only had that song. I've never seen them play my favorite song off this album, not even at that jam song. Yeah, so, I've yeah. only seen Aerosmith once on the Pump Tour, and they played nothing off of it. Yeah, yeah, by then it was out of the set list. You just missed it, because yeah. it was on the, the, the prior tour. Right. All right, Brian, why don't you take track yeah. one, Jail Baby? Sure. Before I get into that, one thing I want to, because Ian mentioned the record cover. Um, it's actually iconic, but all for all the wrong reasons. You know, Spinal Tap famously parried the, the mini Stonehenge, you know, fiasco in their movie. You know, like the Stonehenge mon- monument was being, it was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. And uh, so for that, and then the Born Again tour for Black Sabbath also had a, had yeah. a Stonehenge. I, I, so. think, I, I think they, they parried it more from from Sabbath and they did I mean this might have had something to do with it because this album came out and bombed but the yeah. thing the, the, the great thing about the Sabbath tour is they, they did the reverse because on exactly. the Sabbath tour it was so big it wouldn't yeah. work you know and they made it so small yeah I yeah. saw I saw Born Again at the same venue of uh, Back in the Saddle tour and they didn't have the Stone Edge in there because it's a small place <laughs> but yeah. I also want to say I discovered this recently I found a picture of Led Zeppelin in the 70s with a Stonehenge behind them. <laughs> I swear right. to you. I have it, too. I saved it. It's like, well, whoa, it's, look. Yeah. It's metal, dude. It's fucking metal. Oh, no, I love it. I want to go to Stonehenge, even though you can't get close to it. No? Not no. anymore? No, no. You can get, like, you know, like, you know, 200 feet away or something. You can't, like, walk up to it. Really? It's I, always I been that was- way. I thought it was knocked over because uh, Clark oh. Griswold knocked it over on European vacation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, the movie facts. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Got to get that in there. But, but yeah, no, it's always been that way, and you can never walk oh, up the Stone Edge. I, I mean, if you've ever seen a picture of Stone Edge, you've never seen somebody standing next to it, ever. Mm-hmm. You know, because... Uh, well, fuck that. I'm not going now. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can take a picture where it's in the background, you know. I want to go. I mean, I'm going to England next year, keeping my fingers crossed. And, you know, my main objective is to walk Abbey Road. And what I hear is cars don't drive down Abbey Road uh, because mm. of, you know, tourists taking pictures there. And, of course, the Black Sabbath house, the, 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 the mill. Uh, yeah. And, you know, if uh, Stonehenge is close by, I want to go there, too. Nice. But, uh, okay, any more facts there, Brian, before you get into no. Jailbait? All right, get, nope, into, that was it. get into Jailbait. Cool. I think this is a tremendous opener. Uh, I think this is their most underrated album opener for any of their albums because I think it was incredibly important for the band at the time to start the album with a really strong track, especially after losing Joe Perry and Brad Whitford. And so Steven Tyler just wails on this and they come out storming. And Joey, Joey Kramer is tremendous with his drumming on this track. There's all sorts of little extras that he provides uh, with his drumming. And I really wish they'd performed this live and I didn't think they had ever performed it, but Ralph confirmed that they they did back in the day. So um, I want I want to hear some bootlegs of that. Yeah, this de- is just definitely. Yeah. I remember this song at that Aerosmith show. I mean, then again, I mean, years and years, but I could swear they played this one. Yeah. Right, and uh, I think it's just a fabulous way to get the album started, and it's an underrated gem for Aerosmith. And, and even Joe Perry was quoted as saying, you know, he loved how this song turned out, and he was jealous that he actually didn't get to play on it. So that's probably. Uh, that, that makes it interesting that they wouldn't play it live when they had a reunion tour. But, um, yeah, I think this is a great way to start this album. All right, cool. Ian? Oh, fuck yeah. A great fucking opener. This song, to me, is Aerosmith through and through. And I think, you know, there's... 
well, there's three stars on this, but but two that really stick out. Jimmy Crespo. That fucking riff, that the way he just walks that fucking guitar is awesome. And it's Aerosmith through and fucking through. And to me, it's all the validation I need for the Jimmy Crespo era is that fucking riff. Because it keeps the spirit of the band. He didn't do a fucking Sammy Hagar and turn him into fucking Ambrosia. This is still fucking Aerosmith. Uh, and the other one Brian brought up, Joey Kramer's drumming. Uh, I think Joey Kramer is a very underrated member of, of this band. Well, I mean, really, Kramer, fucking Whitford, and Hamilton never yeah. get any of the praise that they should. Uh, you know, because everything goes to Tyler and, and, and Perry, or Tyler Perry. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Kramer kills it on this, and it's a perfect example of almost like a like a goddamn Mark or Tommy Ramone drumming. It's so, it's simple, but it, it, it's something that is so simple to fuck up if you don't do it right. And he just nails that beat on this, and you combine that with Crespo's fucking awesome riffs and, and guitar walking, and then you throw Tyler on top of this, who, uh, even though he's, like, at the bottom as far as his life goes, I mean, he can still fucking bring it. Uh, Aerosmith fucking threw it. Rue, man. This is one of my favorite Aerosmith songs of all time. Absolutely love it. Yeah, it's definitely a barn burner. I'll give you that. Heavy, fast, and killer opener. Many changes, especially that vocal melody. It's just all over the place. Switches yeah. here and there. It's disjointed, but yet it fits. The song, if you listen to the song uh, like without listening to it, like a music, I, I guess if you look at a musical chart to this song, it, it looks like a hot mess. But if you listen to it, it's like it's a hot mess that's pulled itself together, wrote by a gacked out fuckers that, you know, by dumb luck, they wrote an excellent song through a severe drug age. Yeah. Uh, Jailbait's amazing. I'm glad they threw this on Gems. Uh, was, yeah. it, was it on Gems? Yeah, because Gems is, to me, Gems is the greatest fucking oh, Aer Aerosmith yeah. compilation. That's like, you know, if you want to discover Aerosmith, get Gems. Oh, yeah. hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's a funny... Is, is that still in print? I don't even know if that's still in print anymore. Probably not, but it's a great, great compilation. I love it. Oh, yeah. And I bought oh, yeah. it. I bought it because Chip Away at the Stone, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Great song. Or else I would have never bought it. But, then, you know, listening to that album, you know, I remember playing Gems all the time when it came out going, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck great it. album. Great, great album. All right, I'll take the next one, Lightning Strikes. Now, this is very cohesive compared to Jailbait. Straightforward. No twists and turns, no fucking around. Main objective to this song is to kick fucking ass. And my ass is sore. Hands down, the best hard rocking tune on here. And normally, I don't like songs that have lyric line and then a riff and then a lyric line. You know, like, like you know, sing a line and then do the riff and then sing the line and do the same riff over. I, I, I usually hate songs like that. Uh, so this one's a very rare one that, that I, I really like the way they do that, but, you know, and uh, it's just a badass song. I love Lightning Strikes, and to this day, it's definitely one of the, definitely second best song on this album. Kicks fucking ass. Absolutely love it. Love the video. It's fucking yeah. cool. It's uh, very primitive <laughs> and shit. Early and, 80s MTV, man. <laughs> yeah, you gotta love that shit. And, you know, what you were saying earlier <clears throat> about Joey Kramer, you know, and Tom Hamilton and Brad Whitford. I, I agree 100%. All three of those guys are way better musicians than Joe Perry. 
way oh, yeah. better. Way better. And it's a shame, you know, because, dude, when they when they let, you know, uh, Whitford do a solo and shit, it's like, whoa, this guy is way better than Fred. But, you know, they usually don't do that because he looks like Larry from the Three Stooges. <laughs> but I love it. Lightning Strikes. What do you think, uh, Brian? Yeah, this is my favorite song on the album, and it was co-written by Richie Supa with uh, Steven Tyler. Richie Supa co-wrote uh, Chip Away at the Stone. Yes, so, yes. Uh, this is also the only track that Brad Whitford plays on. Uh, Brad, Brad plays rhythm guitar on it, and it's a total classic Aerosmith sleaze. This easily could have been on rocks. Uh, this is the one song that actually, you know, that they would definitely play uh, after this tour, as, as Ralph mentioned. And I'd, I wish they'd break it out again, because it's just got a killer groove and Again, Joey Kramer just sounds great laying down the backbeat here. And, and what's interesting is it's it's a short guitar solo, and, and we've mentioned it before. If you didn't know Joe Perry wasn't on the album, you'd still think it sounded like his type of solo. It's a total and, Joe Perry solo. Yeah, awesome, awesome song. And, and I think this was the first Aerosmith video that was filmed in the MTV area. I, uh, I yes, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. Even though they did do two... You know, one thing that perplexes me, and again, because of my memory being shot, I remember seeing uh, on Don Kirshner's rock concert, Ochiquita and uh, oh, what's, mm. what's the other video they did for that album? Um, uh, the, the first song. Oh, no uh, surprise. Uh, no surprise. Yes. Yeah. But man, I could have sworn and I can't find it anywhere. I could have sworn they did a video for Cheesecake in the same in the same thing. You know, it's like because, mm. you know, those two videos were shot at the same time. Could've right. I sworn right. I saw Cheesecake on Night Flight. But I can't find it anywhere, so I guess I was Yeah, I think the video is like them, like kind of like in a 50s greasers, like rebel, rebel without a cause type thing, if I seem to recall. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, no, that's lightning strikes. Right, right, right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and then they, well, I was talking about those Night and Run videos. But, but, uh, but they're in the room like the Night and Run video between the greaser thing and the, you know, smashing melons. Yeah. <laughs> or what? Or those? What, what are those? Are they males? Cantaloupes. There's cantaloupes. Yeah. Just love it. And, and fucking, you look at Steven Tyler, man. It's like, dude, you feel like you're on heroin just looking at him in those videos. Oh yeah. He looks he so. Gone. Yeah. He was so emaciated. And was just, yep. He looked terrible, man. But that's cool, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, absolutely love it. I love. I love the video. I'm sure. But uh, cool. Yeah, uh, go ahead, Brian. Did you finish with lightning strikes? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Ian. Oh, I fucking love it. I think it's a classic, and and I do love the video. I I put in my notes how many cantaloupes were killed in this video because <laughs> I because I, I watched it. You know, when I was listening to it for my notes, I was like, wait a minute, I want to watch the Lightning Strikes video because I haven't seen it in a few years and just die and laugh and like you know seeing their hair all tucked in or or poofed up, you, you know, to to be the the you know like the Bowery Boys and shit. Uh, but what a great fucking song, man. And a, and a classic video. It's man, I love that early '80s MTV shit. And uh, it was the first single off the album, and it was the only single, uh, well, off this album. And, and without Joe Perry, that charted, uh, even though it didn't go very high, but it still got a little bit of recognition. Uh, I think it's a great. I just love the way it starts out. You know, boys in the Dukes are ready to rumble. Don't, don't, don't. You know, it's just. Yeah, it's man, it's fucking rock and roll. Yep. Man, it's fucking rock and roll. I love it. I mean, what a one-two punch, man. It, you know, that's a great way to start out the fucking album, you ask me. And and again, like I said, close close your eyes. Joe Perry's there because this shit is Aerosmith. 
Both yeah. these two songs are classic Aerosmith and better than you know a lot of the shit like on Draw the Line and shit. You know, yeah, absolutely. It, it, they've they still kept the sound. Mm-hmm. You know. All right, Ian, take the next one. Bolivian, no, I'm sorry, Bitches Brew. Yep. Bitches Brew. Fuck yeah, man. I, I love the, like, little creepy way it, it starts out. You know, it sounds, you know, I always get this vision like a like a witch singing over a cauldron or some kind of <laughs> shit, you know. Uh, and then it kicks in. This is a, got a great sleazy fucking groove to it, man. And this is a really good rocker and something... This was actually a second single off this album that did absolutely nothing. Uh, but I love it. And you want to talk about like a, a deep album track, I think more people need to hear. Yeah. I mean, especially nowadays, you know, people are so like down because of how shitty modern Aerosmith is, you know, like post-pump and stuff. Uh, Throw on a song like this, man. This has got much more in tune with who Aerosmith really are than fucking amazing or crying. You know, this is Aerosmith to me at its sleazy best. I really, really dig this song. Classic. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I also love how it immediately, once Lightning Strike ends, it transitions right into Bitches Brew, which I always thought was cool. Really heavy, sleazy riff. It twists and turns, and there's some unique harmonies on it, too. This is the sort of like oddball hard rock song that Aerosmith were the masters at in the 70s. And, and bands like Faster Pussycat and Ellie Guns basically lived off the blueprint of songs like this. And so, you know, while I enjoy those bands, I mean, Aerosmith were the originators of sleaze rock. And in many ways, Bitches Brew is the type of song that the band was trying to sound like on Draw the Line. And they just didn't get there on that album. I, I You know, again, three songs in a row that are really, really good. Uh, what do you think, Ralph? Yeah, I, I love it. It, it is disjointed. But to me, the bridge is what sells the song. It's my favorite part of the song. Without this, I don't think I would like that song that, that much. But uh, I do like the song as a whole. Don't get me wrong. I think the whole song is good. But that bridge kind of like uh, emphasizes uh, this song, like complements all the other sections. But without that bridge, I don't think it would work. Uh, yeah. But I think Bitches Boot is a great, great track. But I'll take the next one. Uh, Bolivian Ragamuffin. What a fucking groove on this one. And the lyrics are classic Tyler Scat. Yep. If this was a radio staple, uh, staple, all you, all you be bitching about how you would never want to hear this song again, you know. <laughs> and, and this is why I wanted to talk about "Walk This Way" now, you know, because I welcome "Walk This Way" when I hear this on the radio. It does not bother me at all. I'm not burnt out on "Walk This Way" at all. Now the Run DMC version, that shit was dated halfway through the first time I ever heard it. But I love this song. This song is great. It's classic Aerosmith with a slight uh, futuristic spin to it. There is a couple things on here that you don't really hear from Aerosmith, but it does have that classic, you know, the scat, the the, the classic Tyler, you know, that scat type singing that he does. Absolutely love this song. I think this is a one, third favorite track on this album. Love it. What do you think, uh, Ian? Uh, I, I dig it. I think you like it a little bit more than me, but, uh, you know, I, I consider it an album track, but definitely like one you want on here. I don't think it's as good as the first three, but I dig it. And it, to me, it's real apparent that Crespo gets it. You know, mm-hmm. he, he gets what this band is supposed to sound like and he can do it. He is more than capable to play that, the, those Joe Perry type riffs. I mean, cause this sounds... 
again, like Aerosmith through and through. There's nothing here like, oh, God, he's trying to make them sound like Foreigner or something. No, I mean, <laughs> this, this band still sounds like fucking Aerosmith, and this is good Aerosmith. Again, I would take this over a lot of tracks on Draw the Line. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't think it's as good as the first three, but it's still a damn fine track. And it's Aerosmith, and that's good enough for me. I dig it. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, another terrific song. And to me, this is four awesome songs in a row. And I love the funkiness on this one. And Ralph mentioned it. It's kind of Stephen Towers kind of got like this sleaze rap singing that he was so good at. And I have absolutely no idea what he's saying or what the song is about. But of course, it doesn't matter because he's got like the David Lee Roth vibe of it doesn't matter what you sing; it's how you sing it. And um, and he's totally got that going on for this track, and and you nailed it, Ian. Jimmy Crespo came in, he knew what Aerosmith was about, and he just made it uh, better, if not, you know, than than what Joe Perry was doing. And and Brian Robertson, when he went into Motorhead, you could see them kind of transition. Even though I love Another Perfect Day, right? You know, they were taking them in a different direction. Jimmy Crespo doesn't do that here, and I love the mini breakdown after the first guitar solo. They have kind of this harmony section that I think it goes like, "He need cash, kicking the pants, salt," you know really really great and just a, a great smoking track and it at this point if you're an Aerosmith fan who has skipped over this album in their discography and you're discovering this for the first time you should be kicking yourself because at least the first side as Ralph kind of let out the bag it, it's terrific it's it's absolutely terrific do you want me to take the next one sure go ahead all right cry me a river to me this is one of the dark horse songs and, and of course it's a cover song and, and Aerosmith were always good at pulling out non-obvious cover songs you know whether it be Walking the Dog, Trent Kept It Rolling, Big Ten Inch Record, Reefer Headed Woman and, and so now Cry Me a River and, and damn this is a powerful version and, and you know Steven was not doing well at the time when you know when the band was recording this but he pulled it together for some of these tracks and especially this one you know he feel you can feel every note he sings like his voice is going to give out it anytime but never quite does he, he hits he takes it to the edge and great blues guitar work by jimmy crespo it's a, it's a really tremendous ballad and uh, according to jimmy crespo this track was actually done live in one take without overdubs which to me makes that all the more impressive you know this is a really really well done version ralph yeah you know uh, which i was just talking to my friend the other day about the reason those van halen albums were so fucking good is because they're basically live. You know, the only thing they would they, they would do is Eddie would go back and, you know, lay down a solo over the over what they would do. So yeah, I, I had no idea this was recorded the same way, but it makes a lot of sense. Uh, to me this is the second best Aerosmith ballad ever. And uh, and the best song on here. My favorite song on here. Uh, the feel from Crespo and the band and Tyler deliver this flaw you know tyler delivers a total flawless vocal performance from the sweetest voice to a gut gut-wrenching screams you know makes you know this album a must even if this was the only song on it you know it, it's a must-have album but happy to know it's not the only good song on it a fucking amazing track i can't i can't express how much i love cry me a river i mean from the very first time i bought this album you know, being like, you know, new wave of British heavy metal guy. I mean, even this broke me down going, whoa, this is really, really good. And uh, yeah, one of my favorite Aerosmith songs, cover or not, one of the greatest recordings they ever did. I'd probably have to put it up in my top five. You know, my favorite Aerosmith song of all time is Seasons of Wither. That's why I have to say this is the second best Aerosmith ballad. 
But uh, it's definitely in my top five. Shit, maybe my top three. You know, mm. probably like uh, I can only think of maybe uh, Lord of the Thighs can be better than this one. That's about it. But mm. I love it. I love Crimea River. How about you? You better uh, like it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Not to piggyback on what Ralph said, but I agree ten thousand uh, percent with what he said. Uh, we both agree our favorite Aerosmith song of all time is Seasons of Wither. Uh, this would be the number two ballad. And I would say in my top three, uh, or if not, definitely top five. This song is fucking amazing. Uh, great playing on it uh, by the whole band, especially Jimmy Crespo. But those vocals from Steven Tyler, man, holy fucking shit. And I'm not the ballad guy, but I can't count how many times I've listened to this song, especially after like a a bad breakup, especially like in high school when every breakup was the end of the fucking world. I would <laughs> listen to this shit. And, uh, you know, and to see them do a torch song like this, you, you know, yeah. this, you know, uh, probably the most famous version was the one done by Julie London in 1955. Yep. Uh, oh, fuck that bitch! <laughs> I never heard it. Ever. I never yeah, heard no, it. Yeah, no, she, she sang it, she sang it well. I've heard the original and she does it great, but I mean, this... Uh, it's is just gut wrenching, and you feel every fucking note, especially towards the end of the song where he goes into that like upper high register when he screams, and just like, oh my god! But the guitar playing by Crespo is so like smooth, and you know every note matters, and and you hear every note, and yeah. I had no idea that it was recorded, you know, in one take like that. But wow, and and what an odd choice for them. Uh, to pick too. Uh, listening to it today, man, I, I had to actually work this morning for a couple hours, and I'm, I'm listening to it on the way to work, like, oh my god! And then I came home and listened to it again, and uh, never get tired. This is a fucking masterpiece, and uh, it, it's a shame more people don't know this. And it, if if there's probably like one song I'd pick, because they do play Seasons of Weather occasionally live, but. Oh my god, if I could see a live version of this and and everybody could do it fucking justice. You know, uh, you know what's crazy, Ian? Steven Tyler can still pull this song off. Yeah. Because I've seen Aerosmith. Dude, you want to talk about a guy that preserved his voice perfectly? Steven Tyler. And I know yeah. he can nail this song still, just like he does here. Right. Well, I, I would love to see it. I mean, I don't know. You know, I doubt this would be one the band would pull out. But, you know, even if he did this on a, on a solo tour yeah, or something. Yeah, that'd be awesome. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I, I would sit through fucking, you know, half of those country songs. Yeah, yeah. No, fuck that, dude. I'll sit through a whole fucking country show if he could just play <laughs> this song in the middle of it. Oh, oh yeah. And, and, and man, just... And I'd love to see Jimmy Crespo come out and play this with him because... To, you know, this is another one that me, you know, uh, solidifies the Jimmy Crespo era. Because, you know, if you can say anything bad about the guitar playing on this or this album, you're fucking full of shit and you're listening with your eyes. You know, you're not listening. You're with a your piece ears. of shit like Judy London. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if she wasn't dead, I'd kill her. Yeah. yeah. Good riddance, bitch. How dare but, uh, you? How dare you sing this song? That Aerosmith's <laughs> supposed to do in the future, uh, <laughs> bitch. I, I, again, man, I I am I am not the ballad guy, but this song is 
brought a tear to my eye more than once. And it sucks now. Anytime you mention like, oh, you ever heard Cry Me a River? And people think you're talking about fucking Justin Timberlake. And I just want to fucking kill people. Oh, he did it like, too? No, no, no. no. He, he had a popular song about Britney Spears called Cry Me a River. That was a big hit. Well, look at you, but, Mr. Fancy Pants Pop Culture Guy. Yeah, I know. But like I say, you know, I work with assholes that, that have shitty taste in music. You know, and if I if I was to say "Cry Me a River," that's exactly what they think of, and and that's a goddamn shame. Uh, but you know, it does a great. Uh, Joe Cocker does a great live version of "Cry Me a River." It's more upbeat, though. Oh so fuck him! Yeah, no, no, I've heard, and I love Joe Cocker, and I was lucky enough to see Joe Cocker live, like probably a year before he died, and he was amazing. All I can yeah. say is fuck Joe Cocker, fuck Judy London, and fuck. Fuck more than both of them combined, the motherfucker that wrote this song. Because it should have been Aerosmith that wrote this. Yeah. Well, it's Arthur Hamilton. Maybe it's a. Russell I haven't guy. heard any fucking buddy ever do. I didn't hear the original. I didn't hear Joe Cocker. I didn't hear Judy London. And I don't want to. Fuck them. This is Aerosmith. Oh, and it is my, hand, hands down my favorite track on the album. Yeah, dude, hands down my pants. The favorite, my favorite track on uh, this yeah. album. Hell yeah! And, and I, I guarantee you, once we're done recording this, I'm gonna listen to this fucking song. <laughs> just talking about it. I mean, it really those vocals make the fucking hairs on my arm stand up, man. I mean, yeah. it's just it doesn't get much better than this. And for a band that, especially in the second half of their career. Uh, you know, their bread and butter was these bullshit pussy fucking ballads. This is one that you know is right from the heart. And that's the thing about those old Aerosmith ballads. You felt them, and they felt necessary. They weren't, you know... Uh, home Tonight. Yeah, home, home, yeah, I was just going to say that. Home Tonight. You see me crying. Yeah. yeah. Shit like that, it, it's like... It wasn't like, hey, we got to have a slow song. It's like... It came from the fucking heart, you know, and then later on it's like, well, fuck, we need four ballads because we do ballads pretty good, right. you know. Home Sweet Home killed it for everybody. Then everybody had to have that fucking ballad, and, and nobody did it more or worse than fucking Aerosmith. Mm -hmm. But back in the day, it came from the fucking heart, and that's, that's what I miss about Aerosmith, and Aerosmith is one of those bands that I get so pissed off at but it's because I love them. It's because I know that they're capable of so much more. And uh, I, I, this last album that they did, uh, that Music from Another Dimension, Yeah. Uh, Brad Whitford said, he, he, he goes, man, fuck all these outside writers. Fuck all this shit. Let's just, the five of us get in a studio like we used to. And we're just going to do it you know, with the five of us and Jack Douglas. You know, yep. and that's what we're going to fucking do. And the rest of the band looking like, you're fucking nuts. You're crazy. Yeah. You know? And then look what happened. Look what happened. They haven't fucking bombed, and they ain't done shit since yet because they're all butthurt that it failed. But, you, you know, it's listen to fucking Brad Whitford. He knows what he's talking about, you know? Well, not only that, but this, a couple of the songs they did do alone, those are the best songs on the album. You know, the, the, I think, like, uh, was it Street Jesus or something like yeah. that? That's actually a good song. <laughs> oh, I, Street Jesus this is a great song. Yeah. Uh, you know but, what I blame all of Aerosmith, all later Aerosmith. You know who I blame it on, dude? Not the band, dude. Judy fucking London. Fuck that bitch. <laughs> yeah, you got a point. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we flip, flip this motherfucker. <laughs> Do we have to? 
and you tell us where it all goes wrong. All right, this is where it all goes to shit for me. Prelude to Joni. Effects surrounded by mumbo-jumbo robots talking, and it says all these things that lend to the lyrics of the next song. I think it's a waste of time. Steeler, Steven Tyler gets credit for this song. Only, he's the only writer of the song, but I, I feel like uh, co-writing credit should go to heroin on this one. <laughs> what do you think, Brian? It's so funny because that's pretty much what I said. I, I've always hated this song too. Uh, I re did Mr. Roboto break into the studio and hijack the tape? Yeah. Uh, you know, either cocaine or heroin is a hell of a drug until you wake up and the outcome is prelude to Joni. Um, the band was trying way too hard to throw in like kind of a Zeppelin interlude, I think. So it's almost like no quarter, except they sound like no nickel. Just a shitty way to start <laughs> off side. No nickel. Just a shitty way to start side two after Amazing Side One. Ian. Oh yeah. Uh, well, you know, I gotta steal from both of you. My my liner notes are: What in the fuck stick shit is this? God <laughs> damn, this is fucking horrible. Is this the inspiration for Little Wayne and his fucking robot voice? Oh my god, this this is so fucking bad. And you know, and it gives heroin a bad name because you can have a lot of fun on heroin. <laughs> I, yeah, I, kids. I, yeah, I did it once, and I managed to have fun at a poison concert. Hey, that's uh, the only way to enjoy poison. Exactly. Uh, oh, my By God. By nodding off. Yeah, oh, oh man, I'm nodding off. People around me are like, is he okay? I, I didn't. I did heroin on accident. I didn't know I was doing heroin. And then all of a sudden, I did heroin. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? And, and and as high as I fucking was, and that was at uh, Coral Sky Amphitheater, by the way, Ralph. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, You're the guy I sold it to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I thought I was buying X, not H. Boy, was I fooled! Uh, I, I was outside of the guy. I was outside of the show, going, "Hey, you guys want to enjoy the show more here? Have some fucking heroin, man. It's the only way you can enjoy this uh, piece of shit." Yeah, yeah. Get your unskinny bop on. Take That's some heroin. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, oh my God, is this bad and pretentious and to even compare it to fucking Led Zeppelin you, I ought to smack you upside the face with a wet turd Brian Davis <laughs> this is terrible I just wanted oh. to get my no nickel joke oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like that I like it yeah. you get no nickel back That's oh right. my god this is fucking yeah this is what a piece of shit and, and this just lets you know if this is the prelude oh boy you know the full blown song is gonna fucking suck Oof. so I'll take that Joni's Butterfly and I, I read something, it was a review of this album, where uh, the reviewer said, oh, it's a disjointed album, but there's some classic Aerosmith songs on there, like Joni's Butterfly. I'm like, what? <laughs> what classic fucking Aerosmith? Jesus, this is one of the worst Aerosmith songs I've ever heard. It sounds like three fucking songs, and none of them are good, and none of them go together. And the changes and everything, it's like, if, you, if you're going to make a change, at least make it good. This song just goes from worse to worser, and worse again. It's fucking horrible. This, I mean, really, really bad. And reminds me of why when I got this, I would listen to a few choice songs, but never the whole album. This shit is fucking horrible, and damn near kills the record. There's, there's a couple songs after this I don't mind, but this shit is so bad, it makes you just want to throw that shit out the window the minute you hear these two fucking turds together. <laughs> What do you think, Brian? Yeah, so when I turned it over, like, because I did it on tape, when I was like, this doesn't sound like Aerosmith at all. And so I was like, 
I, I wasn't really into the Beatles yet, so I, I guess they were trying to do a Beatles vibe or something like that, but I, I just didn't get it as a kid, and uh, it, it's not any more tolerable now. Uh, it's a little bit better, I guess, when the heavier parts kick in, but it's by far the you know the worst song on the album. And, uh, you know, I guess you give them props for trying something a bit different, but it, it just didn't work, and, and too many bad drugs, I think, were the reason for this track. I don't even know if this is the worst song on the album. I think that might really? be well, yeah, No, it's point. not. It's not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I know and and you know what? I have to disagree with both of you and agree with both of you on this song on certain things. First, first thing, I love how this song starts. I really do. I love that. Oh, the God. bongo, psychedelia type vibe to it. You know, I think they should have kept it acoustic the whole way through and cut a few minutes off it. The electric edition just loses me. I like Brian. Brian likes it when he does get electric. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I, I think it gets worse too, but it's all horrible. Yeah, I just love, I just love the beginning of it. And I think the beginning should have been, it should have been just a whole song like this. Kind of like, you know, mm -hmm. of, of, what is that song? Barnyard, ba whatever. From uh, Zara. Oh, Ron Yard, yeah. Ron Stomp. Yeah. No, yeah. not the Stomp, the, the acoustic oh. one on Physical Graffiti. Yeah. You know, it yeah. sounds like that with lyrics, you know, add lyrics to it. It kind of, and I love that. So I think this song, if it would have been like maybe two minutes and change, where it was all just acoustic-y and bongo and all that shit, and then just fade out. I would have liked it. I would have really liked this song because it really was interesting. But, you know, then, uh, you know, when, when it goes through all those changes, it just, dude, it's like, I just can't keep interested after the halfway mark. It's it's pretty bloated, you know, and uh, I just it's think... It's like a platypus that turns into a wombat, you know. It's, oh, God, this is ugly. This shit is so bad. Axel Rose was like, what are you doing? And he said that during the use of your illusion era. Yeah, yeah, no, he's like, what is this? I'm going to put it on Chinese democracy and yeah. add some keyboards. Hey, come on, man. Anyway, so I, I, I think it's a bloated song that could have been so amazing if uh, they should have just, like, cut it in half and faded it out and never add nothing electric to it. Just leave it like, you know, your hippy-dippy thing. I, I would have dug it. All right, I'll take the next one, the title track. Yeah. Rock I on. wonder. I wonder if they thought this was going to be like the highlight of their album too. I think they did because I think they put a lot of thought into it, but they were on heroin too. Yeah, they were trying to do something like epic, you know, on this, and it just failed. You know? Yeah. But uh, uh, "Rock in a Hard Place." Uh, how do you how do you pronounce that? Cheshire, Cheshire Cat. Yeah, yeah Cheshire, Cheshire Cat. Cat. And I can't say I love or hate this. It's a song I've heard them many times before. Do. But way better than this. This song is just there. Not a fan or a hater of this. It's a total filler and not killer. Uh, there is no killer in this filler. It's whatever. <laughs> I'm not a fan of uh, Rock and Hard Place. But, you know, I mean, it's not as bad as that the other half of Joni's Butterfly. Or song coming up. Oh, boy. All right, Ian. What do you think of Rock and Hard Place? Well, this is one I kind of used to feel exactly like you. Where like, I don't hate it, uh, but you know it's not that great. On repeat listens today, I realize it's a better song than I give it credit for. It's just you have such a fucking like smoldering turd in your mouth after fucking Joni's Butterfly that it, it's hard. Like no matter what they do, you're just still like, oh god, you're like picking your teeth like, oh it's a fucking turd. Mm. Oh the god that smells. Uh, that it's hard to appreciate this. I think if it would have been uh, different in the set list, like if this would have started out the second side, 
I think you would like it more. And yeah. and and I grew to think, you know, it's got a good swagger to it. Uh, and I, I think it's better than what I think it is, but it's one of those, what precedes it is so fucking bad. Uh, you're already in a negative mood, mm-hmm. you know, to where it would take something, you know, a song would have to be really, really fucking good, you know, following up that fucking turd, you know, that double turd, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, but I, I think it is, it, it's killer filler, uh, you would want a better song for the title track. You know, it'd be great if they called this album Bitches Brew or fucking Jailbait, you know. Mm-hmm. Would have been better. Or, fu- uh, or fucking just listen to side one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that, that. But it, it's not a standout. What do you think, Brian? So I, I disagree. I, I love this song. I think it's it gets the album back on course. It, I think they probably saved it from the first side because it would have just been blended in and it kind of erases the abortion that was the Joni songs and so I, I like the, the grooves I think it's a good guitar solo from Jimmy Crespo and uh, I, I'm also speaking of the guitar solos they're, they're kind of short on this album and but I, they work well like there's nothing really drawn out I don't know if they did that on Porsche you know on, on, on purpose um, but I love Steven Tyler's harmonica touches on this, and I, I know sax on Aerosmith albums can be a hit, hit or miss, but I kind of think it works here because they kind of add a little bit of, uh, you know, touches to the main guitar riff of the song. I think it blends nicely, beefs up the sound a little bit, and uh, yeah, I think this would have fit nicely on, on their other albums. Uh, I'm I'm in the minority here, but I really enjoy uh, the No, no, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's a good song. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I, and again, but to Ian's point, I may like it more because I hate the Joni stuff so much. So maybe it's just like, hey, we're back to rock again. And especially as a kid, you know, I'm just getting in Aerosmith. Um, I, I think it may have made more of an impression on me than it probably should have. But I still enjoy it. All right. Uh, Brian, what do you think of Jig is Up? Yeah. So again, Sleaze, uh, it's a Sleaze rocker. And I, I like this one, too. It's got a killer backbeat groove again from Joey Kramer. Again, he's the unsung hero of the band, especially on this album and steady as it comes never gets the credit he deserves i just love it and to me this is the natural cousin of last child it's kind of like bitches brew this is the sound i think the band was looking for and draw the line but never quite gets it and um and don't get me wrong i do enjoy draw the line but i, I just i think that's the the weakest album in and you know their glory days as as we said and in any case i think jig is up is 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 a, is a nice follow-up to the to the uh to the title track so um, Ian, uh, I think it's all right. I would call it filler. Uh, I wouldn't call it horrible. Definitely not a standout, though. Uh, again, I, I I think even listening to this, like I'm still mad about Joni's Butterfly. I mean that <laughs> that shit is really so bad. It's kind of hard to uh, get back and track. And I think you really need one of the songs that is on the first side to to pick this back up. I don't think this is this is the song to do it, even though it's not bad. And I kind of hear them repeat themselves. I, I can't remember what song it was, but as I was listening to this today, I was like, oh, God, they ripped off this Aerosmith song. So it's kind of them uh, ripping their own selves off. But, man, it, it's just one of those, if the placement was different, I might enjoy it more. But as it is now, it's like a little, too little, too late. But... <laughs> I don't hate it uh, like I do Greylude and Joni's and uh, a song that's coming up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I actually think this is the best song on side two, even though uh, that's not saying much. 
it's it's just wedged between all these shitty tunes. You know, this one I can kind of tolerate. And what Ian said, you know, they, they borrowed from an earlier Aerosmith song. I feel the same way about the title track. It's like I've mm-hmm. heard this before, and I've heard it done better. And Jig Is yep. Up is pretty much the same thing, but I like this one more than uh, Rock in a Hard Place. I'll even go as far to say that it does have a little bit, a little bit of killer in this filler. You know, I don't love it, but I like it. It's tolerable. Uh, musically, they've done this before and better. You know, it's like, yeah, Rock in a Hard Place, Jig It Up is pretty much, you know, the same vibe going on. But yeah, I'll take, I'll take the blast from his last track. Holy <laughs> fuck me. This is fucking terrible. You know, here's the thing. <clears throat> I've owned this album since its release. And I remember even as a kid, you know, I, I gave it a couple chances. I just stopped listening to it. Every time I put on this shit, on CD, I'd stop it after Cry Me River. On, on vinyl, I'd never flip the vinyl over. So, you know, by doing this review, it was the first time I've heard these songs in decades. And I realized why. And I know not a lot. I remember saying Oh man, I remember side two was just bad. You know, I never wanted to revisit it. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so you know, this this is a shittiest song. You know, it's like they saved the words for last. Well, well, you know, at least side one kicked ass. That's why I like this one more than Done with the Mirrors. You know, uh, <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take this out. Uh, you know, this album over Done with the Mirrors. You know, at least it has a good side. Where Done with Mirrors had three songs and two were on side one and uh but this is bad and you know it's like you got you're, you're, you're you know this is an old dude you're talking to you know that that has lived with aerosmith like you know since really toys in the attic when i became familiar with them i never owned toys in the attic but my brother did so i was aware of toys in the attic i was aware of live bootleg and uh night in the ruts and then you know i know i heard all the other oh yeah uh the first one i remember buying the first one uh uh in the 70s uh the one that said f- featuring dream on on it yeah the yeah. debut yeah yeah which you know even in the 70s dude i didn't get an original press because remember mm-hmm. it didn't say feature dream on in the original press mm-hmm. i got featuring dream on in the 70s uh but i remember buying that and i love that i still love that fucking album and yeah you know and uh uh, the second one, which I love, I love all those '70s albums, you know. Which yeah, you know it's re- you know what's really rare is a copy of this that says featuring Prelude to Joni's Butterfly. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I got. <laughs> but but yeah, man. Uh, oh my God, this is so bad. And it's like you know, it's like you listen to the song, you kind of like get like the, I get the vibe of you know, hey, this GPS ain't working out. Where the fuck am I? That's that's what I get when I listen to this goddamn song. Uh, would you choose this over Draw the Line? Which one would you pick if you had to choose between this and Draw the Line? Uh, draw the Line. Okay. Uh, but you know, I mean, it's also timeline is everything. But I sure. got I got to say, I mean, uh, there ain't no song on Draw the Line I like as much as Cry Me a River, but Kings and Queens is damn close. Yeah. Uh, I love Draw the Line, dude. I know, I, I know, I know it's a step down. You know, I want to know why. It's like, I know oh, that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I was about to say, I know that song ain't that great, but I love it. Mm-hmm. You know? And, uh, but dude, like, Cypher Sore Eyes and, you know, the title track I like. You know, it's kind yep. of burnt out on it, but I like it. And, uh, uh, it has, a, it has a, a handful of good songs on there. 
But uh, okay. but yeah, I, I'll I'll take it as a whole over this because there's more songs I like on here. But as I said, fucking side one is amazing on this album. I love this side one on this album, and I I do play it from time to time. You know, I do revisit uh, this album. But, you know, I mean, Cry Me a River, man. I don't think I go more than a year without listening to that at least once. And when mm. it comes on my 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 uh, iPod shuffle in the car, I fucking crank that shit. Yeah. Fucking amazing. But anyway, uh, what do you think of Push Come to Shove, uh, Brian? Yeah, so the song starts with some Stephen Tower harmonica, which usually I'm a fan of, but even this, it sounds like just very haphazard. And uh, yeah, this it, it's sort of like they're trying to do like happy trails meet some sort of sing-along drinking song and i think this is finally where steven tyler's drug and alcohol intake was absolutely apparent and he it's he held it together on the other tracks for the most part but this sounds like he's barely able to stand up and sing into the mic and it's to me it's not quite as bad as Joni, but it's by far the second worst track on the album and uh it sort of makes you uh, want to immediately start the album over and listen to the brilliance of Jailbait. So to me, then it's not a complete loss. But yeah, this is it's it's really it's a sh- it's a shame the album had to end this way. So, what do you think, Ian? Oh, uh, this is fucking horrible. I, I'd rather hear that goddamn Armageddon song than this. <laughs> uh, this is really fucking. I I think this might be their worst song that isn't a ballad. Uh, this is fucking terrible. Uh, Steven Tyler, you sir are no Tom Waits. <laughs> Stop trying to be Tom Waits. Uh, just fucking pathetic. What a sad way to end this album. And unfortunately, I think it's shit like this and Joni's Butterfly that uh, people think of when they think of this album. And it's it's a shame because there there is some great shit. Side one is, man, you want to talk about stacked. If, the, yep. if, the, if this was a five-song EP, uh, I'd put it up with fucking rocks. Yeah. You know? But uh, side two, man, just... But even the songs that I like aren't good enough to save it from the, the shit that's on it, you know? Uh, oh, man, this is a really... Yeah, this is a bad one. This this is really, really a bad Aerosmith song. I, I even... As soon as this song was over, I listened to it immediately again to make sure it was that fucking horrible, and yes, it was. <laughs> I mean, this was really bad. Push comes to shove, yeah. yeah you're shoving your fans away. Nobody wants to hear this shit. Ugh. Crap. No nickel. Yeah. Yeah, no nickel. This yeah. is terrible. Oh, All man. right. Well, this album was released August 1st, 1982. Produced by Jack Douglas, Steven Tyler, and Tony Bongiovi. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, happens to be John Bongiovi's real last name. Uh, he, he took the G out and made it a J. And, you know, and that sucks, too. Uh, yeah, it was not a uh, was not a big hit, and uh, it did finally, however, go gold in 1989. Uh, but I think that was solely on the strength of you know they were having this huge resurgence, and people were going back and buying anything that was Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there was more, even some of the classic 70s stuff uh, achieved the the titles that they had, you know, platinum or or gold in the 80s because you know there was such a huge resurgence and this band i mean they really by the end of the 80s early 90s everybody loved aerosmith you know yeah uh, but uh th- this is probably the darkest horse that they have uh and they're ca- i mean 
the last album doesn't count because nobody bought it. <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> at least a, a few that that didn't go cubic zirconia. You know, uh, but uh, what what I love about this album, I love it, and and the other shit, man, I don't blame it on Jimmy Crespo. Uh, you know, I put solely on the state of Steven Tyler. Uh, but there's something to be said, and I hope some people go back and check this out, even if it's just side one, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, put put that in your playlist and smoke it, uh, yeah. <laughs> and and leave the other shit off. Uh, but I, I'm glad you picked this. It is. I, I love doing the the Dark Horse records, and this is definitely one of them. Great. Cool. All right, Ralph. Do you have a pick of the week? I do. Oh, go yeah. Wait, you kidding me? Go ahead, Brian. Okay. <laughs> uh, my pick of the week is around the same era, and it is the debut album for Whitford and Sa- Whitford Saint Holmes yeah. in 1981. Fuck yeah! And yeah, yeah. So for years, I had only heard Sharpshooter because it was on Pandora's box, and uh, which, by the way, if you're a fan of 70s Aerosmith, that's a must buy because it has all sorts of rarities and different versions of of their songs that you can't hear anywhere else. Uh, but for Whitford Saint Holmes, I always enjoyed that album far more than the Joe Perry project and uh, we kind of mentioned it I could never get into Joe Perry's solo material and I don't think he ever had a quality singer Joe is a very mediocre singer at best and uh, in any case Derek St. Holmes does have a terrific voice shines on this album and you finally get a full album of Brad Whitford material which uh, totally underused <coughs> totally underused with Aerosmith because you know he wrote Round and Round and Last Child Nobody's Fault Voodoo Medicine Man just great stuff and I guess the best way to describe this album is that it has kind of a, a bad company vibe to it with like a late 70s, early 80s production. And I recommend picking up their latest uh, album, Reunion. <coughs> Great because album. Because it actually, yeah, and it includes the 1981 debut as a bonus disc if you don't already have the album. So See, definitely. I've heard, I've heard bad things about it. I haven't heard really? it. Oh, oh I, think it, it. I think it's great. I mean, I, I like the, you know, timelines, <coughs> everything. thought yeah. the first one was better, but it's, it's a great, great uh, follow-up. Yeah, and it's okay, a good value good. if you want both albums for you know, one price. So right on. I mean, yeah. That awesome. Uh, no, no, I'm still looking. All right. Well, my pick of the week is, uh, in my opinion, a cock rock classic. Uh oh. And and that is the second album from Faster Pussycat, "Wake Me When It's Over." Oh yeah. And I find it very, I, I mean, I always heard in the early Faster Pussycat, a definite Aerosmith influence. Uh, but this one I love, and I love that there's a lot of different styles on this album. I mean, it, it's mostly known uh, for the ballad House of Pain. Mm-hmm. But that, even though I don't mind that song, it's my least favorite song on the album. But I think there's stuff, you know, on there, you know, where there's a whip, there's a way. Yeah. Slip, slip of the of tongue. The, oh, slip of the tongue. Oh yeah. Uh, and I, I love shit like Arizona Indian Doll. Yep. Which which to me is very much like Aerosmith, you know, like just a weird song in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but it's because of the twist and turns like that, I think it stands the test of time. And uh, you, you know, in in an era when cock rock was getting really bad, really homogenized, everything sounding the same and shit like that. I think this album has a lot of different styles on it that makes it stand out. I saw him on this tour, opening up for Kiss on Hunt in the Shade, and uh, it was a great show. Paul Stanley came out with a Ronald Reagan mask oh, wow. <laughs> and played with him. Uh, and, and and you knew it was Paul Stanley because he had the broken glass Ibanez and shit, you know. And it, was, <laughs> it, 
it was really cool. Uh, and uh, a band I'm a fan of, you know, they're they're still together. Like, well, I mean, it's really like the Tame Me Down experience. Yeah. And uh, the, the the sound has changed a lot, but uh, I, I love old Faster Pussycat. But I think their second album, Wake Me When It's Over, by far their best, most diverse, and uh, solid album from top to bottom. Yeah, I totally agree. It's better than I think it's better than the debut too. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. All right, Ralph, what you got? All right, yeah, you know what? I figured I'll stick with uh, uh, the first time I saw Aerosmith, uh, uh, the headliners. Uh, it was a journey, and it was the Frontiers tour. So I figured, uh, let me throw that as pick of the week because I really do love this album. I think it's the the last good Journey album. Um, you know, it's, it has the hit "Separate Ways" and "Faithfully," which I love both mm-hmm. those songs. But man, "Edge of the Blade," "Rubicon." Chain Reaction. Uh, this is a good, great hard rock tunes. There's a couple songs I'm not too crazy about on this album, but uh, then again, I'm not too crazy about Rock and Hard Place too. A couple songs, so <laughs> I think this one would be a good overall pick of the week for this uh, for this show, and uh, that is my pick of the week. Journeys Frontiers. Do you have the uh, the bonus edition that has? I guess that has only the young on it. So no, I do not. Okay. I only have the okay. vinyl, which I've had forever. I never got it on CD. Okay, cool. I always loved only the young. Oh, I love that Fishing song. Quest. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah, and then then the sad story about the kid listening to that who was dying and yeah, Jonathan yeah. Kane cries like a bitch. Yes, he I does. hate Jonathan Kane. Oh yeah, my God, too. I hate that prick. Because of him, they got rid of Jeff Scott Soto. The only good replacement they ever had for Steve Perry because everybody else is a clone. Jeff Scott Soto went up there and did Journey songs like Jeff Scott Soto. You know, and he did. Did you see them live? Yes, with, with, once. Yeah, it was oh, great. Oh my God, it was phenomenal. You know, and uh, I've seen them live with the Filipino and the guy with the perm, and yeah, you know, they were okay. But the you know well the best time it, it definitely was with Steve Perry the, the show with uh, you know the, the Miami baseball stadium but the second best time was hands down Jeff Scott Soto and they threw out shit like Edge of the Blade and and I think they played Rubicon that night too they threw some heavier tunes of uh, it was so good but Jonathan Kane is such a bitch and it was Rubicon De La Rosa I love that guy <laughs> yeah there you go so yeah. Did you ever get to see him with Greg Raleigh? Or that's the show that God, you God, I wish. Yeah, no, it's uh, not that. Yeah, it's one of the many. There's so many fucking great shows I couldn't go to my damn parents. And that was, I remember I could have seen the, well, fuck. Dude, I could have seen, check this shit out. It was uh, Evolution Tour at the Miami Highlight ooh. with opening act. Get ready for this. Finn Lizzy with Gary Moore. Uh, no. And man. dude, I was going to the show. Me and my buddy Yai, who I'm still friends with. You've told the story a thousand times. And I'm love saying it, again. I'll say it again. I know. <laughs> I know. I have. Because it, it's it's a gar- it, you know it's just like you know how people cry for Crimea River. Now you're gonna cry for this. Uh, uh, me that's and a great story. Though. Me and my buddy Yai were going to go see Journey with Finn Lizzy, and it was 1979, and. Uh, Everything was set. We were going. So that day, during the day, we went to the beach. And he pissed his father off so bad. His father was awesome. Let me tell you something. His father, may he rest in peace, he was a good man, great man, that tolerated a lot of bullshit from Yai. Because Yai was a terrible kid to his dad. 
I mean, <laughs> he really was, and and his dad would would tolerate it. But that, it was one of those days where he just snapped, and he's like, "Well, now you're not going to the concert." And we were both like, oh. "And yeah, I almost <laughs> saw Thin Lizzy, dude. A Black Rose tour. Oh, that right. that 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 hurts me still talking about it." I, yeah. I, I had a, a, a show like that. Uh, my best friend's mother, uh, she got pissed off. And I actually quit my job to go see, and funny enough, it was Aerosmith. Aerosmith and Megadeth. Oh, the, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a controversial. Get a yeah, get, get a grip to her. And I quit my job. I was working at a gas station. And uh, I told them I had to get up early because I was... And they were playing at Alpine Valley, Wisconsin, which is a fucking drive. I'm like, I got to get off early because I'm going to Aerosmith. And uh, uh, they're like, no, you can't leave. I was like, fuck this shit. The boss left and I got all pissed off. I'm like, fuck it, I'm going. And I went out and they used to have, still have full service gas. That, you know, I used to have to go out there and pump the gas and check the windshield wiper blades and all that good shit. Shit you don't get anymore at a gas station. It's true. But uh, I, I told the chick I was working with, I go, fuck this shit, I'm leaving. She goes, who's going to work full service? I was like, I'll show you. I went out there and I set cones right in front of the full service. I'm like, <laughs> fuck this job, I'm out of here. And then I went, and then my buddy's mother wouldn't let him go uh, because he, he was younger. And she's like, no, no, no. And then I ended up not even fucking going because I'm like, I'm not driving all that way by myself and going and driving back and shit. And uh, so I missed the show, even though I had the tickets. Uh, yeah, because Megadeth wasn't on that tour long, and then I guess Jackal replaced them after that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah Dave, Dave pissed off Aerosmith. I think he said something about corporate or something, and they kicked him yeah, off the and, tour. And, he said, and then he, afterwards he said, yeah, but they'll be dead soon or something. You know, typical Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he said something about Joni's butterfly. <laughs> well, that'll, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good Lord. All right. Well, now it is time to go into Fan of the Week. And uh, you've been Fan of the Week multiple times, but we are so glad to have you back, Brian Davis. Uh, you have been a phenomenal guest, and I'm very happy to announce that we still have two more episodes uh, coming. I'm not going to reveal the albums, but uh, in my opinion two great picks and i think this is a great pick even though you know side two sucks yeah. uh, but it is it's an interesting album to talk about yeah and uh, we just we really enjoy having you on uh you know i i enjoy when uh uh you know you post on the page i, I love it when when you listen to my radio show you know you always throw out some great requests some good old rhythm and blues uh so man, uh, we really appreciate you and uh, and thank you, thank you for all you donated towards the expo. And uh, the cat is out of the bag now. Yes, Vinny Vincent is going to be appearing at the Rock and Pot Expo. So uh, I know that's going to take it to another level. And it's possible thanks to you and and thanks to everybody who donated. So I, I really want to thank you, brother. Wait, wait, Brian's no, gone. Brian's you. gone. I hope so. I, I have every intention of going. And to be honest with you, I think it's I think it's awesome. Vinny Vincent's going. That's probably going to be the big draw. But I'm going because I want to meet you guys in person. For no, the no, first look, time. look, look. And I want this. We got this. Is a must. Yeah. You, me, and Ian. After the expo, we go get some heroin, shoot <laughs> it up, get some acoustic guitars, and do a cover of Joni's Butterfly in the hotel. <laughs> uh, hell yeah! 
and, and you know who we do it with is Black Heron because Black Heron is playing the after party show this year. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, we got to do it after Black Heron. We got to see that, and yeah. hopefully we can score some Black Heron. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> that's another thing I want to announce because there there are going to be uh, two concerts, and I'm not. I'm not sure if everything's signed, so I can't announce who the pre the pre show concert is on Friday night. Led Zeppelin, <laughs> but, but but Friday night is going to be a pretty big deal, and then uh, but it's more like melodic rock. Saturday night after the expo is going to be straight up metal bands, and because uh, they didn't want to compete, I guess the the same night of the expo is like Journey and fucking uh, Death Leopard. So, so they wanted to like attract that crowd the night before. So the the pre-show is going to be not necessarily those type of bands, but more melodic rock. But Saturday night's going to be straight up metal, and I'm I'm very very proud that Black Heron's playing. Hell yeah! And uh, excited to meet them and 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 the other bands. Hey, I had a lot play. to do with that. Just so you know. Yes, yes. I was yes. the one that so. told them get 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 a hold of Sizzler. And yep. they did, and they got they got the gig. Yeah, and I, I just got the uh, confirmation from Chris and Zach. I'm very happy for him, and I know there will be uh, a representative from Frontier Records there. So hopefully, uh, I hope this turns out to be something big for Black Heron because they want to expand on uh, the type of bands they're doing. And I, man, if they take a chance on Black Heron, I. You know, and we were part of that, helping initiate that. Yeah. I would be so fucking And not proud. only that, when we hang out with them, I will convince them to change their names, uh, the names I said before. <laughs> and, yeah. and they're going to explode with those names. Hell yeah. Hell, Hell yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. That but great, no, I, great EP. I got I to gotta say, that will be a future pick of the week. I, to, I, I jammed to that shit still. It's good stuff. Yeah, that was good. Hey, but no, I, I really... I. I as, as great as Vinnie Vincent's going to be to be there, I want I want to meet you guys. I want to meet the Decibel Geeks, and and that that to me is the main reason to, to go for me. Um, so yeah, I can't I can't wait to meet you guys. Yeah, well, well, we're really cool in person. Those Decibel Geek guys, man, they're really standoffic. <laughs> you know, they're they're big stars. They're big stars. We'll talk to you. That's right. not, that's not true. They're great guys. Yet they make Ian pick, uh, Geek of the Week, never me. And I and I'm and I'm their protector and, and secretly uh, uh, masturbate to them. <laughs> well, I, I guess it's not a secret anymore. <laughs> but uh, no, brother, I, I hope you make it, man. Because, well, fuck. As Ralph says, fuck that. I better see you there. <laughs> That's right. Fuck that. I better see you there. And more importantly, fuck Judy London. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thank by you the, so much. By the way, and, Ian, when you put this up, episode. 213 uh, Rock and Hard Place and parentheses Fuck Judy London. Right. <laughs> but uh, Brian, please remind these people of your most excellent podcast and how they can check it out. Yeah, it's uh, Damn Good Movie Memories. It's uh, on iTunes and Podbean. And Ian's been on multiple episodes. He did a tremendous, uh, I mean, we talked about everything uh, with two parts almost three hours worth of material, just everything in movies, <laughs> movie history with Ian. And then we also have a Blues Brothers soundtrack episode, which was a ton yes. of So uh, yes. absolutely, we're trying to get, um, do a crossover episode. You know, you guys would be like Simon and Simon coming on Magnum, and we want to get you every, you know, all, all on again so we can talk about 70s movies. Hopefully we can oh, do that. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I got to say, I, I recently listened to uh, uh, the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, which was awesome. <laughs> 
Uh, he, oh, uh, Brian it. did it with his mom. And, yeah. uh, you know, honestly, you know how I am with moms. I, I, I think I rented that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and let me tell you something. Brian's mom sounds like a very nice lady that I wouldn't want to bang because unlike Ian's mom, I can tell she doesn't lick ass or gargle urine. <laughs> oh, maybe she ain't that great. No, I mean, she's not that great sexually, but she's great on the podcast, so check it out. Yes, exactly. And thank you for listening, Ralph. <laughs> you got it, bro. Awesome. All right, well, let's get to the other plugs. Your mom. Earpeeler, the podcasting and interview news site. To keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear, go to earpeeler.com to find out what we're all about. Listen to The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. Go to all the W's, Gully, G-U-L-L-Y-A-N-D-J-O-A dot U-K, 8 p.m. U.K. time, 3 p.m. Eastern. The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. Listen to it. Don't be a cunt. Hey, rock music fans. This is Terrence Reardon of the Terrence Reardon and Friends Audiovisual Podcast. Join yours truly as I look every week at a different classic rock or metal album that had a major impact on my life. And I'm usually joined by a friend or two or ten. And we talk about nothing but great classic rock and metal. And there's no country or Sammy Hagar or rap on the fucking show. That shit is frowned upon with yours truly. So if you want a great classic rock audiovisual podcast, tune on in to the Terrence Reardon and Friends audiovisual podcast. New episodes every Monday exclusively on YouTube. Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault, featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault. On Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. Tired of your long commute and boring workday? Well, join Brian Davis and his gang of movie buffs as they talk about a different movie subject every week on Damn Good Movie Memories. We discuss movie themes like our favorite movie villains, favorite soundtracks, and worst movie remakes, and much more. Check us out on iTunes and Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. From New York. Hey, 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 hey! What up, bangers? From North Carolina! Skitter Pal Meow Meow. This is Bushy. And the Mountain. Tune in every week for your listening pleasure only on the plug with Bushy and the Mountain Man. You can find us on Podbean and iTunes. Thank you very much! Hey everybody, I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. And we're from the Decibel Geek Podcast. And if you love this... Then you'll love us. That's right. Brand new episode every single Monday. You can find us on iTunes and at DecibelGeek.com. And the best thing is, it's rock and roll and it's always free. This is Ian Wadley, Wadzilla from Wadzilla's World. Do you want to hear the greatest, most eclectic show on the internet? Show up for the best in hard rock, heavy metal, 
classic rock, funk, soul, and anything else I deem necessary. Wadzilla World, only on Cranium Radio, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time to 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Be here or be a bitch. Welcome to the best fucking show you'll ever hear in your life. Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, The Dr. Fuck Show. Yes, tune in here at that metal station for The Dr. Fuck Show. I've been doing this show right here for years. And the chat room's always packed. The jams are always playing. And yeah, you may get a rant every freaking week from me. Fuck, not freaking. I don't want to say freaking. I mean fucking. So join me and my lunatics that are let out of the asylum here on that metal station. 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Thursday nights. Join me. Let's lose our fucking minds. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, then uh, I guess you'd like Joni's Butterfly. Come back when we interview Judy London next week. Fuck that bitch. <laughs> I ain't bringing yeah. no Ouija board. Fuck you. But we got her at a good price. That's next week on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Fuck Joe Cocker, too. <laughs>